senior referee Earl Hebner, who has been on a firestorm in, in recent in recent weeks with he's, the McMahon Helmsley regime. He's on probation. He's not supposed to be out here. Face buster by the game, taking down Jericho. Referee Mike Kilda is still down. Jericho will have Look at this. Look at this. Triple H just realized who's in the ring with him. Jericho had the championship won. They're just uh -oh. moments ago. And Earl Hebner is not going to take this physical abuse. He cannot put his hands on the WWF champion. Spinning heel kick by Jericho. Jericho <laughs> scores in the moonsault. You'll reverse the decision as long as, while you're a World Wrestling Federation official, we never, ever harm you or touch you again. Yeah, don't even lay a hand right? on him. Never. never. Then you've got a deal. So I'll tell you what, are you gonna reverse that decision? Yes, I am. Triple H, that I have to give up the World Wrestling Federation title because that match never took place? That's right. You're telling me I have to give up the World Wrestling Federation title because these Jericho-holics never saw me beat you in the middle of that ring for this championship? It didn't happen. Well, I guess we can all believe that. Idiot! Jericho has relinquished the WWF title. That look on his face. He's going to bust a rock open. He's going to bust a rock open. Those grapefruits are growing, baby. Oh, oh, man. He put everything he had behind that one, JR. Well, this is over. This is just what the McMahon Hilton regime wanted. What's bigger than a grapefruit? Look at McMahon, I want you to count to three. The Rock can't even get up. Oh my God! Oh, the Rock! JR, 
My name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to April of the year 2000 to bring you all the fallout from an underwhelming WrestleMania and take you through to Backlash on the very last night of the month. We have quite the show lined up for you uh, as joining me to, to traverse the month we have an esteemed former host of the show making a shock return. It's Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing sir and how have you been keeping since we last heard from you? Do call it a comeback. I'm okay, everybody. It is good to be back, but let's be honest, regardless of any previous situation, there's no way I was going to miss this show. Now, was there? Thank you, everybody, for the letter and email I received. I wonder where I've been for the last couple of months. But uh, he's back, baby. It is good to have you back. Um, Rory, I have some news headlines to uh, kick us off for the month. I believe you've got some news to take us through, so we'll get things started with X marks the... Sport? Yes, once again, I haven't really changed my headline writing, ladies and gentlemen. It's still pretty... Um, I have to put a lot of pressure on the people who have to read it out, but suddenly it's normally it's normally Pete Kimber who has to read my headlines, but Chris, you've drawn the short straw for the next five minutes. But yes, X marks the sport. Uh, WWF's first major non-wrestling project, the XFL. Football League, of all things, stepped into legitimacy last week with the announced signing of a TV contract with NBC for it. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of information on what teams are going to be participating, how any tournament is going to shake down. I think we can safely say it's not going to coincide with the NFL, so I would imagine early next spring it will be on our screens. But yes, big deal with NXT. Big deal with NBC. Uh, $30 million invested by NBC, giving them a 3% stake in the company. Uh, NBC themselves plan to target males in the 12 to 24-year-old graphic uh, in advance of the XFL's debut. Uh, they have made clear that they will not be airing any WWF programming in order to boost that target demo. So uh, not a complete revolution here. And um, Mr. Keith Alberman, or somebody who, used, who, who at least used to be Keith Alberman had this to say about the signing. I worked a year and a half with NBC Sports and was damn proud of it. Today, I'm damned ashamed of it. Why don't you just hand out cigarettes to kids? This is the network of the Olympics, Super Bowls, World Series, Wimbledons, and now the WWF. Every Saturday night from February through April, the division's programming will be turned over to a man who could make Howard Stern blush. Vince McMahon has actually made the fact that professional wrestling is fixed pre-arranged, scripted, and gratuitously violent, its most appealing characteristics. They're kind of always its characteristics, but uh, never mind, Keith. Uh, you go back to being the Richard Keys. It's not okay to like. Why don't you, mate? Uh, more news on the XFL as that develops over the next few months here on the podcast. It's um, uh, WWF getting involved with real sports. That's quite exciting, isn't it? And we've got a huge new TV deal confirmed. We have. What is going on? After years on USA Network, 
The World Wrestling Federation could be taking their pro wrestling programming, remember that, to the newly revamped TNN or CBS Viacom TNN to give them their full title. Uh, USA Network uh, put forward a equivalent deal extension for when it expires in September, but with none of the extra bells and whistles, giving the suggestion that they would not be too disappointed for the WWF to go to pastures new. The LA Times reported that Vince favours Viacom CBS because he feels the head of USA Network has treated him like a used car salesman. I'll leave that one hanging in the air for a couple of seconds. And here's what the Broadcasting and Cable Industry Trade Journal had to say about the possible move. Uh, CBS and TNN are soon to be part of Viacom. They have offered not just a rich time-buying deal, giving the Federation control of the ad time for Raw and other programs, but a commitment for cash to develop movies at Paramount Studio, the sponsorship of events at Paramount Theme Parks, and this one really got me, 13 episodes of an hour-long drama on CBS. Just <laughs> start the casting for that one right now. Details on the finances as soon as we get them here on the show. But for now, it looks like the big move could take place as soon as this September. Pro wrestling in the dock again. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes, a very sad story to report here. Uh, about 13-year-old Lionel Tate, who has been charged with first-degree murder the death of six-year-old Tiffany Eunuch. Uh, details are sketchy at the moment, as you could well imagine being subjudice. But what we believe happened here is um, uh, Mr. Tate was imitating a move he saw on a World Wrestling Federation videotape that was put in to occupy uh, his time and that of the children who were with him by possibly his mother. And as Tiffany, Un Tiffany Eunuch, I believe, is a distant relative who sadly died receiving one of these moves. Uh, the reason we've mentioned it here in the WWF news is that the defence attorney has actually tried to get Dwayne Johnson to give a deposition about wrestling's influence on kids. Um, one of Johnson's attorneys has responded by saying Dwayne has no place in this case. This case is about a little girl who was murdered. Try as the defence will to make us forget it's about a little girl being murdered. It has nothing to do with pro wrestling. It's incredible the amount of money and energy the WWF is willing to try to spend the rock from giving a one or two hour deposition, said the defence attorney. I don't know what they're trying to hide or protect. Well, try nothing, mate. Uh, friends in the most unlikely places, Bill Apter came to the World Wrestling Federation's defence on this one, saying promoters are not culpable and parents are for any influence wrestling has on kids. And you know what? He's kind of right. WWF feeling Minnesota. Yeah, so what have we had? We've had Olympic gold medalists, we've had genuine work rate guys, and now a standout amateur wrestler could be coming to the Federation. Uh, University of Minnesota standout, no less, by the name of Brock Lesnar. He won the NCAA Division I Heavyweight Championship in March. It is said that he would much rather try to make a living in real athletic competition, but who cares about real sports these days anyway, eh? Here's, his, here's a quote from the Associated Press. It's in my mind, but not in my heart, pro wrestling. What could you do? <laughs> you know that when you start wrestling, there isn't anything besides the Olympics after college where you can go and excel. Promising. Lesnar, who is 6'4 and 270, has the look that is attractive to the WWF. He will more than likely train down in Kentucky until he is called up. He's, of course, doing himself no real favours by saying that he's only in this for the money, but put it on the line while you can. And another University of Minnesota student, Shelton Benjamin, a two-time All-American heavyweight in 97 and 98, has already signed on. 
Austin, HBK, Undertaker return news. Yeah, so Austin did return at the Backlash pay-per-view, and we will go into big detail on that a bit later on. But what about him returning to the ring? Well, his neck mobility is still very much limited, as we saw when he attended the Fan Fest at WrestleMania and indeed at Backlash when he was on screen. Still currently mooted that he will be returning somewhere between King of the Ring and SummerSlam. His recovery is on normal pace, but not faster than that. Basic cardio workouts have been difficult for him. He did say this on an interview for Inside Edition. He said he had some good days, some bad days, but more good than bad. He said he thinks about returning to the ring every day, but won't until he is 100% fit. Undertaker is slated for a return in June with possible a long-mooted character tweak. Uh, Michaels. News to show Michaels that he would be returning. JR seems to think he will be. This is what he said in his WWF column last week. Nothing has been finalised, but I would not be surprised to see Shawn Michaels return to WWF TV soon. And here's Michaels' response. WrestleMania access was fun, but I would love to be in the spotlight again. Let me correct myself. I would love to share the spotlight again. I see what you did there. The full-timers are the stars. So who knows? Maybe we'll be seeing one another sometime soon. I hope so. Until then, best regards and try to be nice to one another. Uh, again, the more things change. And finally, we have WWF lose ratings battle to dinosaurs. Yes, for the first time in 18 months, if you see what I did there. So on Sunday, news broadcasts here in the UK were gloating over the success of the, it must be said, very good BBC series Walking with Dinosaurs. Have we all seen it out there? You check that one out, Chris. They look very lifelike, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Big fan. (laughs) And I see what you did there. Uh, This is what the BBC website said. The monstrous cast of the BBC's Walking with Dinosaurs has captured the imagination of US audiences, knocking the country's heavyweight wrestling action from its top TV slots. The BBC's epic computer animation, which spans 155 million years in the history of dinosaurs, managed to shatter all-time cable ratings records. The programme pulled in an average 10.7 million viewers during its premiere screening on the Discovery Channel in the US, said a BBC spokesman. The computer animation was the most watched non-sporting event on cable, that again, during the 99-2000 television season to date, beating the USA Network's WWF action. Vince, you have finally met your match. Thank you very much, Rory. And on the... uh topic of ratings i have the ratings for raw for the month so coming off wrestlemania raw did a 6.4 rating this is running effectively unopposed against the history of nitro clip show Uh, it stayed strong in the following weeks with 6.2 and 6.7 ratings respectively and rounded off the month with a huge 7.1 rating for the go home show for backlash um rory uh, out of all the news you've covered there we've got tv deals for the XFL, the WWF, we've got returns of wrestlers and we've got some obviously tragic stories in the real world outside of professional wrestling. But uh, what stands out for you as sort of like newsworthy uh, and anything you'd like to break down further? Yeah, I definitely want to touch on the XFL. I mean, my knowledge of what we over here call American football probably would, you know, a postage stamp would be pushing it. But this is fascinating stuff. It's Vince McMahon branching out into what is supposedly going to be legitimate sports. It's not going to be worked or scripted, although, of course, all the usual suspects, i.e. Phil Mushnick, have already put that one on the line, but then they would have anyway. And I'm really interested to see how it is going to shake down. Like I said, they're in the news. What's the makeup of the team's going to be? How's the tournament going to work? Is Are they going to have any 
former NFL stars in there. Will it be really linked to the World Wrestling Federation? Will we see Vince McMahon introducing the teams like he did at the main event of WrestleMania 11? Well, the answer to that is obviously yes. But uh, by the by, yeah, I, I can't really think of any precedent for this. There was the brief occasion in 88 where Vince had a go at boxing pay-per-view, but that didn't work out too well. Uh, to the extent where all the references to that were cut out of the SummerSlam 88 VHS, made it onto the, just about kept it onto the original pay-per-view broadcast of that show, but uh, he brushed that one under the carpet very quickly. So yes, fascinated to see what will take place here when this airs apparently early next year, and whether it means Vince will be taking a step back from day-to-day running of the WWF. I'll leave it up to you, dear listener, as to whether you think he should or whether he shouldn't. Yeah, I think it's um, a really interesting time because obviously the company's doing so well, apart from uh, in its battle with dinosaurs. Uh, and uh, I, I, uh, I think Eric, Eric, a few months ago, when we first had news of the XFL, went into great detail about sort of like the logistics with, from a American perspective of what is the need and sort of where are they going to be pulling a fan base from? And he didn't sound too optimistic about the future of the XFL. Um, obviously, there's a long way to go in terms of news and developments and what that final XFL product will look like and how that will impact the WWF. But I just think from sort of the across, well, it's to me, they would almost be silly not to try and capitalize on the popularity of the WWF in terms of trying to get the XFL um, off to a great start rather than just running a secondary football league. Um, and maybe have as much crossover as possible. That's how I'd look at it from trying to boost sort of eyes on the product in the early weeks. But whether that means whether that's a good thing for any potential long-term health of this new sporting venture, that remains to be seen. I think being on NBC is going to help. I mean, Vinny's got his old pal Dick Ebersol inside the tent. That's going to count for something. Yes. But uh, as we say, there's a long way to go before we have any sort of true XFL product uh, in front of us. But we did have a lot of WWF TV product to get through uh, in the month of April. And we uh, we uh, start with the first Raw of the month, which took, takes place the night after WrestleMania. Um, Shane McMahon opens the show. He says that what happened last night was truly his father Vince's greatest accomplishment. Triple H enters with Stephanie. He wants The Rock tonight, but says he won't be putting the WWF title on the line. Vince is out next. Just like old times, he's a despicable heel. Vince and Hunter shake hands, showing we are a very long way from their match at Armageddon. Vince tells us he doesn't have to answer to anyone and isn't inclined to tell us why he turned on the rock he runs down runs down the crowd for a while in typical vince fashion and says there's no chance in hell of the rock becoming wwf champion just like there's no chance in hell the people in the crowd will ever be stars vince's music played to end it the next week on raw vince finally explained that the real reason he turned on the rock was that rocky had never been thankful for vince's help and support vince said he was looking for the one thing the rock had one thing from the rock and he never got it all he wanted was a thank you vince wanted to say vince wanted the rock to say thank you vince vince put his hand on the rock's shoulder and the rock stared at the hand as if to say don't touch me rory um obviously uh coming off wrestlemania and that turn 
back to the dark side from Vince McMahon. What do you make of Vince's heel turn in his sort of first few weeks of the month back in his old character, cutting promos? And generally, what do you make of the turn and what are your thoughts on Vince McMahon at the moment? Well, just to jump on what you all rightly said on the show here last month during WrestleMania, where you all buried the heel turn, I'd just like to echo those comments. Utterly nonsensical. Made zero... For somebody who normally prides himself on the way his own character is presented, obviously, and for a company right now who are storyboarding their main plot lines under the tutelage of Chris Kresge, who's their head writer, Vince to turn heel at WrestleMania attack the rock like that was senseless and it would have needed a pretty darn mighty fine explanation for them to get away with it the fact we had to wait an extra week to get any explanation at all should tell you how successful they were in that like most people i was into vince as a face this time you know we had the quasi face run a year or so ago and obviously we had the stuff with triple h at the end of the year but this was it the fans felt legitimately into him when he came back three weeks before mania place fucking erupted people would have got behind him he didn't need to be the rock sidekick or walk out with him just just rock turn up and just stick it to the heels every so often it's okay to do that but they feel he has to be involved as a bad guy and we're just turning over the same old coals yet again i thought his promo the day after wrestlemania was sounding quite tired to be perfectly honest with you he's talking about what was it he's saying uh, talking about how fake the fans are and all of that trying desperately to link that back back to the rock was it calling them bottom feeders it was pretty Desperate stuff. And I know I know that Vince McMahon is capable of better material than this. And we didn't get an explanation, as you say, until the next week. And then it was a fairly ropey one. It Vince is still good at this sort of thing. I think my cynicism is probably being tempered by the fact I wanted him to stay as a good guy for just a few more weeks or months, but Maybe it is that that's colouring my judgment, but I'm sat here thinking about it now, and I wonder if his heart isn't necessarily in this character after all. It's almost become the default setting. Oh, evil owner, Mr. Command, screwing up babyface number one. Well, you will never be able to replicate what you did there two years ago. Truly once-in-a-lifetime stuff. If you just keep on diluting it, watering it down over and over again, it's like Bob said last month, it's what's next? Rock coming out in a beer truck. Is he going to take Vince hostage the day after this? It's only so many things you can actually do on this go round. And I'm not enjoying it. I mean, heel Mr. McMahon this time two years ago. We were all on these programs reveling in it, and quite rightly so. Now it just feels like a bit of an easy go-to, and it's disappointing me. Heels should not be disappointing you. They should make you angry. But I'm disappointed by it all. And for me, that's a problem. I think you've picked up on a really key point in that the promo the night after Mania felt quite tired. And it was just sort of this, it was the subject matter. The, the delivery is still Vince McMahon as Vince McMahon. Whether that character is, is slightly tired now or not, it's still Vince as Mr. McMahon. What we had, though, was the content that was, rather than this, like, heinous boss, it was just sort of like any mid-card Hill manager could have cut that promo. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, just running down cheap 
heat, like running down the local crowd and calling them all fake and phony, as you point out. Um, and just riffing on the crowd for a few minutes. It didn't feel like the same like dastardly Vince that was so effective. Um, and I don't think even from the heel side of things, I don't think Triple H needed Vince McMahon. Like, I'd... I know he's, he's quite polarizing the, the, the last few months of McMahon Helmsley uh, regime with him and Steph. But um, I mean, I, I think Triple H has done quite a good job in this role. Um, and uh, considering they've not had Vince and, uh, and Austin on TV for, for months and months at this point, I think Triple H has held the fort down well at the top of the card in terms of the, the being the big bad. Um, and, to sort of just rush Vince back, turn him heel as quickly as possible, and uh, sort of bodge it in a way, and just align him with Triple H and put him next to him. We've kind of hit reverse in a big way. And I think it's undercut Triple H. It doesn't make Vince look great. It doesn't make The Rock look great, because now, as as Bob pointed out last month, and you're reiterating here, there's the fear that it's going to prevent The Rock from maybe... <laughs> continuing this like great babyface run because it's just going to have direct comparisons to Austin V McMahon and although it works for the crowd and it gets a lot of heat I don't think long term it was the way to go and I think a change would have been much more preferred um, but it, I mean they've gone with it I think throughout the month they they did a good job but Again, the storyline at the top of the card is often at its best throughout the month, as we'll get into next, um, when it doesn't necessarily involve Vince, um, which is kind of like if you were to go back a year or two and say that, you'd think you were mad. But I I think it's very much the case now. Next on the agenda, we have to discuss the craziness of Raw from the 17th of April. So Chris Jericho opens the show. He's got a match with Triple H. Uh, He welcomed us to Raw is Jericho, and he said it that it seems that he is in hot water again. He's going to be punished for calling Stephanie McMahon Helmsley a bargain basement slut. He claimed he was there to apologize to all the bargain basement sluts and all the trash bag hoes for comparing them (laughs) to that miserable slimeball pig that is Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. That drew cheers. Jericho said he apologised to anybody who was offended, except for Stephanie. Hunter made his way to the ring and he was furious. Jericho took advantage of this to say that if if Triple H really wants to impress Stephanie and defend her honour, he should put his WWF title on the line and make this match for that title. Hunter said you're on to accept the challenge and we're opening Raw with a WWF title match. Um, Jericho said... uh, now that this is now that this is a title match, he's invested in some backup, and he introduced the acolytes as his protection. So uh, we skip to the final portion of the match, and it happened as follows: Hunter goes for a pedigree, but Jericho counters, goes for the walls, but couldn't get it. He catapults Hunter right into referee Mike Kyoda, who goes down against the turnbuckle. Jericho goes up top. Shane takes advantage of there being no ref and trips him, and the acolytes chase Shane to the back. Stephanie throws the WWF title into the ring to help her husband and Jericho. Jericho gets a kick uh, to the chest and then hits Hunter in the head with the title. But there's no ref to count the three. Oh, Hebner runs down from the back. He counts one, two, 
and Hunter kicks out. Hunter's mad at Hebner for being in the ring, so Hunter shoves him, but Hebner shoves him right back. Triple H doesn't stand for this, shoves Hebner to the mat. Jericho capitalizes on this distraction. He hits a spinning heel kick to the face and a line salt on Triple H goes for the cover. Hebner rolls over and counts a very accelerated one, two, three, and we have a new WWF champion. Chris Jericho has defeated Triple H in the opening match on Raw. The crowd goes absolutely ballistic. Hunter's furious and he chases Hebner to the back, but the acolytes stand in the way to prevent Hunter from getting to him. Jericho grabs the WWF title and leaves the ring with it. So Rory, we're going to pause <laughs> at this start, at this stage of the show uh, to just talk about uh, everything that's happened up until this point. We've got a new WWF champion. It's Chris Jericho. It was a hell of a match, a hell of a pop and a hell of a moment. Yeah, this is the before you wake up bit, isn't it? Well, uh, if you remember when I was on the show, January 99, WWF, I was in there with Dan and we were talking about our reaction when Mick Foley won the title from Rock on the first roar of the year. And I said that I was up there punching the air and dancing around the living room like a loony. Well, I replicated that again. I'm ashamed to say to all you smart listeners out there on April the 17th, I was doing exactly the same. And more so. Yes, I put aside my cynicism, and I really did believe that Chris Jericho was WWF champion. The match to get there, as you say, Chris, was excellent for what it was. It felt like a 25-minute main event condensed down to about 9 or 10, but you didn't really see the joy. And they cut a great pace in there, and they managed to hold it, and they still managed to tell a lot of stories in the ring, even before you got to the finish as well. Only real issue that sprang to mind during these eight or ten minutes, there was one moment where Triple H was clearly calling for a a, a knee, the left knee, you know, to block off a Chris Jericho. But that's a minor, minor complaint. Outside the ring, by the way, if you're watching the match, he was by the he was by the um, by the security rating. If you really want to watch and try and pick out an error on this one, I had to mention one. But yeah, great match. Now let's get to the finish. You said it was an accelerated count, and it was. But it wasn't a fast count. If it had just been an old heel style like that, then you would have known it was the fish would have been smelling in Denmark. However, the fact that it was a quick count, that it was what we know as a fast count, still quicker than Starcade 97, but you know somebody had to mention it, but quick enough, but not enough to completely have you thinking this ain't going to work. You're there, you know what? Chris Jericho has defeated Triple H in a 10-minute match with his secondary move. He's done it cleanly. It's happened on Raw in a match with no build. I really should be questioning this right now, but sob that. I'm going to go along with the 16,000 other, 16, other people in attendance, and I'm going to cheer the fucking roof off this place. And that is what I did. And that is what pro wrestling, oh yes, is capable of. And it's what the WWF are doing almost on a weekly basis right now. We say that virtually everybody in the WWF is over. And we say that Jericho hasn't hit the height yet, and that was probably true leading up to this. But if this was a trial run, then he could be the next babyface cab off the rank before too long. He could be. Of course, what am I saying, Chris? He's really WWF champion right now, isn't he? You know, nothing else happened after that, did it? He was there, he celebrated, Triple H just walked off, and there we go. No? 
I would I would love to be able to agree with you, but uh, yeah, the, the match was just a. Uh, it was fantastic. It was an incredible bit of TV. So fun to watch. Jr's at his best, and uh, I think everyone everyone looked really good. Like Hunter can move so well for his size. I think he's slightly underrated, and when he's in there with a guy like Jericho, who is smaller and slightly quicker, and maybe this isn't like the the walking brawl main event style match that we've primarily seen Hunter in as his opponents recently have been what say Mick Foley or oh the big show or the rock or people like that like he's in there with someone like Jericho and he can go like he's underrated I think in that aspect and uh, I think Triple H was kind of like living (laughs) like a dream here where he just was like I'm gonna go in there and I'm just gonna play Ric Flair like I'm gonna Sell and sell and sell. I'm going to come back with my knee, get give give something, but then have it taken right back. It's just like Ric Flair heel champion. It was like the best. Uh, it was like all Triple H was trying to do. I thought, and uh, I'm not putting him on that level by any means. But I, I, it looked like to me Triple H was having the time of his life uh, being in that role, uh, and uh, I, I think it it came off for a, for a great performance. It's definitely not Ric Flair level though please do not berate me for that uh, it was an all-time all-time great uh raw moment for me um the crowd go absolutely wild and i i watching it when jericho's celebrating with the title and the crowd are just going ballistic and i was thinking for that exact second chris jericho felt like the biggest star in the wwf okay. and he was in wcw nine months ago and uh it was just like a I, I, I don't know, it was like a transcendent moment of celebration. Um, I was like so swept away by it and uh, really pleased that it that it lasted. Or or did it? Let's get let's get into it. Must After, we must we <laughs> Hunter and Shane they they're backstage, they grab Hebner, drag him drag him back down to the ring. Hunter tells Earl that he screwed him and Shane held, holds Earl in a full Nelson. Uh Hunter questions the original referee, Mike Kyoda, who was the assigned official, not the piece of crap, Hebner. He says that he wants Kyoda to see the footage. So they rolled it, and it showed the fast count from Hebner. Hunter claims claims that he was screwed, and that the world saw it, and he wanted Mike Kyoda's unbiased professional opinion. Kyoda said, that was a fast count. You screwed Triple H. That was a fast count. And Mike Kyoda was excused from the ring. Hunter said that the official referee of the match said that Earl scrolled Hunter and called the crowd idiots. Um, he demanded that Earl reverse the decision and Hunter is still the WWF champion. Hunter said that this match will be stricken from the record books and it never happened. And Earl had to reverse the decision. Now, they put a mic in Earl's face and he screams, no! A huge pop from the crowd for that. Hunter and Shane threaten Earl again. Earl tells them he'll make him a deal. He says he'll reverse the decision on one term. Nobody touches me as long as I'm a WWE referee. Hunter agrees they had a deal, so Earl said yes, he'll reverse the decision. Hunter told Earl to get the title from that sword-off midget Chris Jericho, and Jericho shows up on the ramp wearing the belt. He starts out all pissed off and defiant, fires off a couple of lines insulting Steph to pop the crowd before just removing the belt, giving it to Hebner, and walking away. He just said okay, surrendered the title, just gave it back and just walked away and left. Triple H ordered Hebner to put the title around his waist where it belongs. He said that before Earl goes, Hunter wants to talk about the deal they made while noting that as long as Earl is a ref, 
in the WWF. Nobody ever will put a hand on him again. Hunter said there's one thing he's forgot to tell him, and it's that you're fired. Hunter and Shane attack. Triple H lays out El Hebner with a pedigree. JR calls it one of the most appalling things he's ever seen. Hunter leaves with Shane and Steph, while the referees check on Hebner. And finally, before I come to you again, Rory, I'd just like to talk about the finish of the main event. Triple H, X-Pac and Road Dog facing the team of Chris Jericho and the Acolytes. This ended when Triple H countered a move from Jericho, kicked him in the gut and hit a pedigree in the centre of the ring and pinned Chris Jericho clean as a sheet. One, very slow two, very slow three. The show goes off the air with Triple H celebrating with his title and Chris Jericho lying beaten in the middle of the ring. Rory. Yeah. What uh, just happened? Yeah, slow count for a three after a pedigree and being called a sawn-off midget on live television. Yep, I think we've woken up now, haven't we? Having said that, so much of this, again, was very well done, I've got to say. Triple H sold his indignance brilliantly. Having Shane yapping over his shoulder was excellent. And Stephanie doing what Stephanie does too. I thought Hebner played his role here very well. Uh, Mike Kyoto isn't going to win any BAFTAs anytime soon, but uh, no, never mind about that. Uh, if you're going to do this, making a referee, intimidating him into reversing a decision, it does perhaps raise the question that why don't you do this all the time? But I'll, I'll let that slide. So if you are going to do this, you've got to have some purpose to it. Did Triple H and Kayfabe know that Hebner was going to make a deal? Probably not. But again, for the sake of argument, I think we can let it go. Because that was ingenious, I've got to say. Maybe he really is the cerebral assassin after all. No, you can't lay a hand on me as long as I'm a WWF official. Oh, by the way, you're not a WWF official anymore. Eat this. Okay, I can get behind that. And it does plant a seed for something we get at the pay-per-view. All excellent. All really, really good. But I could tell by the tone of your voice there, Mr. I know you try to remain impartial when you're doing the reports, but I could hear it sneaking through there. You didn't really like that Jericho meekly gave up the belt either. I'd like to think you don't anyway. I hope you agree with me on that one. We should have got a bit more from Jericho there. Other than his, probably his weakest line about Stephanie McMahon yet. And then just hands over the thing. That mm, just dumped down to the upper mid card at best in one fell swoop. And it was made all too official again an hour later. The whole story from the beginning of Raw to when it finally faded to black with Hebner getting the kick in probably does rank alongside. I would put it very close to, if not next to, and possibly even above the whole Austin Bret Hart street fight deal the night after Revenge of the Taker. Watch his knee, you idiot, and all that. This ran that very, very close, at least. It was great storytelling. It built from point one to point two to point three, as Chris Kresge has now got them doing so well. But just at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, mm, after all of this, it's Triple H taking a clean pinfall on Raw, and yet he still manages to come out of this somehow even stronger. And the person who pinned him and became the champion is arguably slightly weaker than he was than he went in. Oh, I tell you. So, as we'd learn about, like, 
across the next couple of weeks, and, and particularly, as you say, at the pay-per-view, this isn't about Chris Jericho at all. This is just about Triple H and El Hebner. Jericho just happened to be the guy that's in this spot. They could have gone with Jericho or, or potentially done something with Jericho here, but no. They just had this stupid storyline where a crooked ref screws a heel champ out of his title. I don't think this did anything for Chris Jericho. And it could have done so much like that. By the end of the show, that moment of him winning, winning the title, was so enormous. But by the end of the show, it was it it was dead. And like the the pay per view main event, as we know for Backlash, is Triple H defending the belt against The Rock. I thought that they took away some of the heat for that because Triple H just got beat. Jericho winning the title, as I said, incredible moment. But but by the end of the show, I I think everyone involved was, <laughs> I think every single person involved in this storyline was worse off by the end of Raw than they were going in. Why did no one save Earl? Like the Rock, <laughs> the Rock's there. We know the Rock's there. Jericho was literally right there. He'd just been on the stage. Instead, a few refs run down and save Earl from a kick in, like. It felt like after the opening match, they spent the rest of the show doing everything they could to undercut Jericho. I can't believe there wasn't a distraction or like he didn't hit him with a belt in the main event or anything like that. He was just pedigreed and pinned clean as a sheet. This is a like fantastic TV moment, but I feel like they just ruined it. Like They couldn't have done much more with him just meekly handing the title back, walking away, coming back to be pinned clean. To assure me... But don't worry, Chris Jericho is definitely still a mid-carder. Mm. Like, don't worry. He's, like, I don't think he got anything out of this. And, like, he certainly didn't by the time, like, Backlash rolled around. You could watch Backlash and potentially, if you hadn't been keeping up with TV, not even know, like, you, you would know that the Earl Hebden stuff because he's got a role to play in the main event. But Chris Jericho's just carrying on with his mid-card feud. Like, this never happened. It's just like crazy to me. I don't know if I'm being too harsh, Rory, or just irrational, or, or I don't know. But well, I, I was think, furious. No, I, no, I'm with you definitely. Where they take you to that high, and then an hour and a half later, in every sense, both in the storyline and in real life, it never happened. It does make you wonder why, as good as it was in the moment, and it was, and I still stand by the quality of the storytelling. Jericho is not elevated as a result of this, and I know it's easy to fantasy book but then that's part of the reason why we're here and when I sat down after watching that roar on the 17th and I tried to piece it all together I thought you know what maybe somebody should have just tapped somebody else on the shoulder and said I'll tell you what let's have Jericho just give him a run with the belt just for one week here just for a week and then sort of like a Luger mid 97 thing even that wouldn't have been ideal but I still think it would have been better than what they'd done I mean him just wandering down the ramp and saying you want your belt back Oh, okay. Here you go, then, mates. No hard feelings, and then losing again an hour later. That's that's not how you build a face in April two thousand. Like I said about ten minutes ago, Jericho could be the next in line. He could be, but <laughs> things like this indicate he's got a lot of roadblocks to do if he is to get past. If he is going to be, and we all know who they are. <laughs> So moving on to another, another hugely newsworthy segment from the very same episode of Raw, uh, we had Linda McMahon come out. She has an announcement to make. 
she tells us that The Rock is scheduled to face Triple H for the WWF title at Backlash. And Hunter has Vince, Steph, and Shane all in his corner. And she said The Rock hasn't asked for any help, but she did want to give him some nonetheless. And she's decided to put someone in his corner to help even the odds. Fans began chanting for Foley, which Linda addressed. She said it wasn't him. She said that Mick was a one-time, one-night-only deal, and Mick is now very happily retired at home. Linda said there's going to be a very special individual in The Rock's corner at Backlash, and uh, it will be none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. So if you remember, listener, we haven't seen Austin since he was hit by a car back at Survivor Series 1999. The crowd going absolutely nuts as Triple H... Uh, Steph and Shane all march to the ring. Stephanie complains uh, about Linda uh, coming into the ring and making decisions when she knows nothing about uh, what's going on. Stephanie referenced uh, when she slapped her mum and said she has no problem doing it again. Stephanie said she'll give Linda the opportunity to change her mind, and Linda says no. Stephanie tries to slap Linda, but Linda blocks it, and she slaps Stephanie. Hunter then tries to pedigree Linda, but Shane saved his mum by punching Hunter. Linda bailed while Shane and Hunter argued. Stephanie slapped her husband and brother as they continue arguing with things. The Rock comes out amidst the carnage. He says that now it's going to be Triple H with Vince in his corner and The Rock with Austin 316. He said the whole world knows his history of Austin, but they both agree that Triple H is the biggest asshole on walking God's green earth, and he vowed to leave Backlash as the champion. We'll skip forward now to the 27th of April edition of SmackDown. Uh, The Rock had said earlier on the show that Austin didn't want to wait to Backlash and would be making an appearance tonight. And in that main event segment, Triple H, Vince, Shane, Stephanie McMahon, uh, Road Dog and Tori are all in the ring calling out Austin and The Rock. The Rock comes out uh, and he tells us he's a man of his word. And we see Austin appear on the screen to a huge pop. Austin says that he's in the parking lot and that he was... He'd been in and out of the arena all night long. Austin said there seemed to be some concern about whose side he'd be on at Backlash, and he made it clear that he's going to be on his own side. Austin says that he's only ever been good at is tearing shit up, and he's good at deconstruction. We see Austin sat in a truck that says Austin Deconstruction on it. Austin has a crane, and some sort of cinder block is attached to the end of it. The DX Express is right there, and Austin drops the cinder block using the crane on the DX Express bus, and the bus explodes. The McMahons are shown in the ring looking terrified about all of this, and Austin is back. Rory, the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin on SmackDown. Uh, What do we make of it all? Okay. Interesting that it was on SmackDown rather than on Raw. I think that's the first point. SmackDown, to me, I've been watching it throughout the month, is becoming quite the hot show it's not just the raw support show that i think a lot of us feared it was going to be and it kind of been drifting that way certainly towards the end of 99 but there are some hot angles and stories on there and none more than the return of steve austin after five months the way that they did it um i'm gonna slightly contradict what i said about heel vince half an hour ago as stupid as he shane Triple H, the world champion, I forget, Stephanie, Tory looked by being given the runaround by Austin in the building. I think in a, a cardboard cutout was really him. Good punch thrown by Shane now, by the way. That could be one to note. And his music playing in a broom cupboard. Oh, that's got to be him. Or some bold guy 
has to be Steve Austin. Oh, we're going to fire him anyway. <laughs> oh, a snake who we're going to be over comically scared by when it's put down in our dressing room. All of that, it's ludicrous and it doesn't really fit Austin's character. I'm not sure it really fits the rocks either, to be honest with you, but Vince just playing it up to the hilt was almost enough to make me forget the fact he shouldn't have turned heel anyway. Get him, get him, get him, Shane. That's a damn cardboard cutout, that son of a bitch. Yeah, okay. I've come round only a little bit. But yeah, and we see Austin right at the very end of the show. Kind of, again, living off past glories, dare I say. Uh, destroying the DX Express. That's a bit of an easy target, isn't it? Not that I really wanted to see them waste an Austin Triple H throwdown in the ring at this point. I think that would have been a waste, and they were wise not to do that, especially given Austin's condition. But it got the pop. We didn't learn anything new, though. At the time, I can see where it all ends up now. We'll talk about it when we get to the pay-per-view. But at the time, I was a little bit underwhelmed by it. I think they kind of could have done a bit more with him throughout the broadcast but it was just about the appearance pop and they got that but the stone cold steve austin stone cold steve austin being away for five months and this is what we get for me it wasn't enough see i i i quite enjoyed this particularly the the austin stuff i thought it was while i do agree it's kind of like playing off (laughs) playing the hits, as it were, I think it was a really great little angle. And I think if you ask people the most memorable moments of SmackDown in in the next five years, ten years, however long, I think this will be up there. Um, I, I just thought it was a, a, a cool visual, a cool way to... like. We know Austin's not been cleared necessarily to do any in-ring stuff, and, and at the pay-per-view he, he, like, he doesn't drop anyone with a stunner, for example. Like, he can't can't do that so what can you do with him at this stage well answer one is don't bring him back yet till we can oh, <laughs> but if, if you are going to bring him back then i think this stuff works it, it gets the pop it keeps the story going vince on the show had done a lot to sort of tease the rock about well can you really trust that austin's on your side don't trust anybody. I know Austin better than anyone and you can't trust him, all of this. And I think by the end of the show, Austin had made it clear. Well, even if the rock can't trust me, he can trust me. Like, like I'm definitely not on your side. Like, uh, I I just think it was, it was simple, short, effective and memorable. Um, And I, I was a fan of it, but I probably wouldn't have Austin back yet necessarily. Like I think the show has been, hot enough and the company's doing well enough that they don't need to rush him back for angles where you have to shoehorn little things and I agree that while they're funny and they're they're good segments I agree that the snake and the cardboard cutouts and the music and all that isn't really fitting of the Rock or Austin's characters so I, I don't know that long term like it's the kind of thing I want them to be doing and like i don't know if austin's going to be gone now for a while again until he's ready to return to the ring i certainly wouldn't want to keep him around doing stuff like this all the time but i think as like a surprise comeback like 
to end the show, I think this was really effective. And with that discussion over, we have finally re- reached our review of the WWF Backlash pay-per-view. Um, I don't have the results to hand. Rory, do you? Could you kick us off with the results? Uh, I'm afraid I don't have them either, Mr. White. I've obviously been gone too long, and I forgot I had to do that. It's quite what are we going to do? If only there was someone else that could uh, do that. Hello, everyone. Uh, I figured if we were going to have one big return today, we might as well have another. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll discuss me later on. Uh, let's get on with the results of Backlash 2000. Uh, in the opening match, the team of Edge and Christian uh, defeated Degeneration X of Road Dog and X Pac with Tory to retain the tag team championships. Uh, Dean Malenko defeated Scotty Too Hotty to retain the light heavyweight championship. Billy Bossman and Bull Buchanan defeated the APA of Bradshaw and Farouk. Crash Holly defeated Hardcore Holly, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, Perry Satin, and Taz to retain uh, the Hardcore Championship. Big Show, or the Showstar, I should say, defeated Kurt Angle. Uh, TNA, the team of Tess and Albert with Trish Stratus, and emphasis on with Trish Stratus, defeated the Dudley Boys or Ray and Devon. Eddie Guerrero with China defeated Esther Rios with Lita to retain the European Championship. Chris Benoit defeated Chris Jericho by disqualification to retain the Intercontinental Championship. And in the main event, The Rock eventually with Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Triple H with Mr. McMahon, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley in a singles match to win the WWF Championship with Shane McMahon as special guest referee and all of the schmoz. Um, and yeah, I'm back. Uh, but Chris, back to you because I'm not presenting. Welcome back, Bob. It's great to have you back on the show, back involved. Rory, over to you. What did you make of Backlash? So that's what we're going to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, Backlash 2000 then. Um, if you are a fan of any stripe of North American pro wrestling in general, and the World Wrestling Federation in particular, I think it is churlish, unfair, and plain wrong to ask for any more than you got during Backlash 2000. Bob, welcome back. Backlash 2000, what did you make of it? Yeah, I I should preface this and say that this is kind of a a hastily arranged return to the point where I basically haven't seen anything since I left up until the Raw and SmackDown that led into this show. Um, So I may be lacking some context. And I say that because I thought this show was good, um, other people seem to think this show was great, and as from what I understand from speaking to, um, you know, look, reading back and speaking to various people about it, is that it, it in part was because of the six to twelve months of pay per views that had gone before it. Um, I thought this show was good, um, but I think they were helped from what it sounds like that this probably was the finish that should have happened at WrestleMania. Um, And they were helped by having this incredibly satisfying closing 10 minutes of the show um, that sent everyone home happy and probably validated most of the stuff that had gone before it. So good show. Good to be back. Um, And yeah, a very satisfying conclusion to the main event that I I think probably adds a point or two onto everyone's review of this show. Yeah, I, I think the ending's really significant in that it's probably one of the most significant uh, feel-good endings to a WWF pay-per-view we've had in a long time. Um, I mean, speaking about WrestleMania, we've had what Triple H was the first real heel champion to retain his belt in the main event. 
we have that underwhelming Vince turn. This almost certainly should have been the finish at WrestleMania, uh, with or without Austin's involvement. Um, but I, I think this was this was a very good show in my book. Uh, definitely one of the best WWF pay per views we've had in a long, long time. And uh, it's nice to be able to go into a pay per view review on this show positively. We are live in front of 19,000 fans at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. As JR and Lawler welcome us to the show. We open with Road Dog doing his standard pre-match promo, hyping up the crowd. He's in DXT mode with X-Pac, taking on Edge and Christian for the WWF Tag Team titles. So we get some good work early by Edge, uh, then attack to Christian for a splash in the corner. We get a big power slam by Christian on X-Pac. Uh, Rody cheated behind the ref back, so DX start to double team. There's a blind tag, but referee Jimmy Corderas didn't see it. Tory's choking Christian in the corner, and X Pac now is a Bronco Buster. We get more work by DX over Christian for a couple of minutes before a double cross body block by Road Dog on uh, by Road Christian onto Road Dog and X Pac. Edge does a headbutt off the top onto Rody before Christian hits a double reverse DDT on both DX guys. We finally get the hot tag to Edge, who hits a seated powerbomb on X Pac for two before hitting a spear on Road Dog. Tory held Edge and he moves and uh, but he moves out of the way and X Pac punches Tory by accident, knocking her off the apron. Road Dog hits a clothesline on Christian on the floor uh, and the refs looking at them distracted. X Pac hits his X Pac fi- X Factor finisher and the refs but the ref is distracted, yelling at Road Dog and Tory. Christian gets the ring bell, hits X Pac with the bell and covers for the win, even though X Pac wasn't the legal man just past the nine minute mark. After the match, we see X-Pac has been busted open and is really, really bloody from that bell shot. Rory, what did you make of our opening match? Yeah, strong opener here. I thought uh, two teams with a lot of energy behind them. Uh, Fans were hot. Good eight or ten minutes. Really fine action here. A couple of particular points I want to draw attention to. Uh, One is the crowd reaction that X-Pac seems to be getting, though. I I know he's nominally in a heel team a heel team who get the crowd going before their matches by getting him to say suck it but nevertheless still a heel team i notice he's the chants that are directed towards him seem to be rather specific i would say and it's never entirely easy to tell but they seem just a little bit more barbed when they're chanting x-pac sucks than yes standard basic heel reaction maybe i'm reading too much into it it seems like there could be something extra there that might be something we want to keep tabs on and secondly the fact that edge and christian as much as they are really starting to get motoring now after a slower start than you might think in the two big ladder matches behind them tag team champions now they're really where they should be and that's great i don't think there's any doubt that edge is being positioned as the breakout star at some point of this team the action was heavily emphasized with him involved. And Christian, who's a fine worker in his own right, from what I've seen of him, just seemed kind of there. I think Edge has probably got more of the package that people backstage, person backstage, is looking for. So maybe by the time we get to the end of the year, I hope they're together for longer than that, but possibly end of the year of Edge 
breaks out of the team. It will be interesting also to see what they do with him because I think he's going to be the planned single star going forward. He was brought in as a single, of course, and that was somewhat inauspicious. But yeah, a fine match here, high quality action, and credit to X Pac as much as some fans would not want to give it to him. That shot at the end, I should say, when Christian whacked him with the bell, he connected with the bolt part of it. So there's no give there. He needed three stitches afterwards. But following the match, he told Christian, no hard feelings, because he likes being beaten up anyway. So there you go. All's well that ends well. But fine opener here. Bob, what did you make of your first pay-per-view match in nigh on two years? I'm kind of reminded that, you know, this is the same company that in 1995 was putting on dark snooze fests on pay-per-view in front of flat crowds. Um, This definitely wasn't that. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, some weird things that we talk about DX being, you know, working heel, but they kind of come out at the start of the show and work babyface before the match. I don't think it matters, but it, it, it's there. I suspect in a, you know, in a different time that might have meant more. Um, but yeah, good match, hot crowd, um, and yeah, Christian laid one in pretty hard. And like I, I, I did think to begin with. As he just bladed in the only match on the card, and then I kind of looked at it and went, "No." Um, particularly as like they didn't go anywhere with it, um, and the rest of the show there was working with a very definite kind of, you know, kind of faint blood stain on most of the mat. Um, but yeah, good match, hot crowd. Um, I'm not worn out on tag matches on this show so far. Uh, I, I feel like by the the third one, uh, me and the crowd may have been. A little bit likewise. Um, but yeah, a good match, nice opener. Um, and like I say, a hot crowd makes a big difference. Yeah, uh, well, um, it, it is nice that on this show we actually do have a couple of singles matches, um, unlike WrestleMania, uh, which we had absolutely none. Uh, I really enjoyed this opener. Yeah, good action. Two teams the crowd are invested in, uh, at least one half of DX, as you rightly point out, uh, Rory. I think Edge and Christian need wins like this to sort of establish themselves as good quality heel champions they're they're early on in their run they've had some exceptional matches in the last six to 12 months um and uh it just shows uh, this is the kind of opener you need again i'm probably going to make the comparison a lot this during this review but wrestlemania could have done with an opener like this when you've got two pay-per-views in a month and one of them is wrestlemania you expect that to be the stronger of the two um and it seems like every mistake they made at wrestlemania (laughs) they just spend this show trying to rectify it and uh having this hot opener in front of this hot crowd um was uh was step one in the way to doing that so yeah thumbs up for me from our opening match Before we get to our second match, we see The Rock arriving backstage in a limo before we head to ringside where we have Dean Malenko defending his WWF Light Heavyweight Championship against Scotty 2 Hotty. Malenko had won the title three days earlier from Scotty. So they go right at it at the bell with Scotty getting the early upper hand. Dean tries a powerbomb, but Scotty's ready to counter with an arm drag. He counters a headlock into a back suplex too, but wastes some time moonwalking to allow Malenko to take him down with a brutal clothesline. Scotty gets some momentum back, but then Malenko slows him down with a dropkick to the knee. Malenko spends the next few minutes working on the leg off Scotty, but after Malenko does a knee breaker, Scotty comes back with an enziguri to the head. Malenko regains control with a hard whip in the corner before Scotty gets a roll up for two, and Malenko stops that comeback with a clothesline again. 
Malenko drives Scotty out of the ring. Uh, and Malenko goes out there, lands out there with him too. He allows a superplex before each guy gets some near falls in. He, Malenko hits a back suplex with Scotty trying to fight it off before Scotty finally nails a bulldog, leading to a massive reaction from the crowd for the worm spot. Malenko gets a roll-up, but his feet are on the rope and the ref catches it. A uh, sweet Liger bomb by Malenko gets two before a power slam also gets two. They try to spot on the apron, but Dean slips to the floor. The improvise with Malenko going to the top. It looks like it's going to be a superplex by Scotty, but instead Malenko turns it into a DDT. That was awesome. Scotty gets spiked, and that is enough for the win. Malenko retains in just under 13 minutes. Bob, uh, last time you were on this show, uh, Dean Malenko firmly in the WCW mid-card. What did you make of him in your first WWF outing? Hasn't really changed, has it? Um, <laughs> Dean Malenko working, you know, probably the best match on the card, if not, you know, if not the best match, certainly close to it in the in the first hour of a pay per view. Malenko doesn't look like he skipped a beat. Don't know a lot about Scotty Too Hotty, but um, you know, I, I kind of went um, like, you know, here's someone I've never heard of. Maybe Malenko will, will, will kind of, you know, deal him. Although to be honest, he he took his time beating him on the SmackDown before the show as well. Um, I'll give them credit uh, in the sense that there was about two or three spots or moments where I'm like, okay, now we're going to the finish. Um, uh, And they kind of went on with another part of the match. It kind of felt like they worked a kind of, this match went 12, 12, 13 minutes, kind of like they worked like a nine minute match and then bolted on a couple of false finishes, which certainly up the, um, up the review of this match a little bit. Um, Finish was excellent. That looks really good. And again, I, I think one of the reasons this show will be quite well received is that a lot of the, um, match not matchmaking. A lot of the kind of finishes were, were pretty well put together, which helps. Um, and yes, in, in my notes, when it comes to the worm, I've got the crowd just came alive for the worm. Did he steal this move from David Arquette on Nitro? Um, somewhat facetiously, of course, but I did watch that one first. So I thought I'd put that there. Um, but no, very good. Um, I, I do get the feeling Malenko's got the same glass ceiling he, he had in WCW, though, but I, I hope to be proven wrong. Rory. Yeah, this was a nice surprise in more ways than one. Uh, this match was originally kicked off the card, which is why they had the match three days ago on SmackDown. But somebody in the back thought we need to have a little bit more work right there on the big show. And it was to all of our credits that we did. I thought this was booked really smartly, actually. It wasn't just 50-50 toe-to-toe. I don't think anybody would have believed Scott Taylor in that position. So they really had Malenko wrestling rings around him but Taylor managing to get in a few hope spots which given again how over he is a mid-card comedy actor how over he is they were built into his comebacks that made them seem a bit more believable in a way that you, the back of your head you were thinking it's all about the back of your head on this show today thinking that you know what maybe he could just squeak this one out even though based on pure ability even in kayfabe he doesn't really deserve to Malenko can work any style he could work this sort of match he could have worked a 50-50 match anything as Bob rightly says in a place like the World Wrestling Federation that sort of versatility it's almost a negative. It's probably going to end up working against him, really. And I think we all know who the big two they really wanted when they signed the Radicals three months ago. 
And as far as Vince is concerned, Milenko and certainly Saturn with a free plastic toy at the bottom of the cornflakes. But they've got them anyway. And that finish, oh, that was sick. I mean, Bob talked about 95 earlier. I mean, I went back to In Your House 2 with this one when Rhodey planted his now pal, one, two, three kid, with a very, very awkward indeed, look awkward looking indeed, second rope pile driver, which wasn't repeated anytime soon afterwards. I don't think we're going to be seeing a spike DDT from the second, third rope anytime soon either. But if you're going to finish a match, then fucking finish it. And that's what they did. Yeah, good stuff here again. Yeah, I mean, I expected, you'd expect more of a styles clash between these two mid card comedy acts and Dean Milenko, obviously the. A great technician um and I, I what a pleasant surprise um i think it was just logically put together smartly put together and excellently wrestled i think uh scotty too hot he held his own and dean malenko was his usual excellent self um yeah i the finish as well i mean we've all praised it it was absolutely fantastic and definitely worth going out of your way to catch and just a a really nice match i i, I thought like when you've got sort of like a 12, 13 minute undercard match on a WWF pay-per-view, um, this is a long way away from the, the stuff we had to put up with throughout 1999. Um, a huge positive to the card for me and uh, a really nice match for Dean Milenko and a good win. So we had a meeting of heel minds backstage, Vince McMahon making sure that Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson are on the same page, Triple H, Stephanie and special guest referee Shane McMahon are in the room too, and it looks like we have a plot on our hands for the main event. For now though, the Acolytes are here to face Bull Buchanan and the Big Boss Man. Uh, Bull looks good in the early goings, working a flip off a backdrop attempt, Boss Man plays heel in peril for a while before running over Farouk making the tag. We get a blind tag to Bradshaw by the ref, Teddy Long. Didn't see it. The crowd isn't too into the match so far as Farouk takes a beating. He eventually nails a spine buster on Ball and gets a hot tag to Bradshaw who hits a shoulder tackle, cleaning house until Buchanan catches him on top and hits him with a superplex. That was nice. Bossman was brawling with Farouk outside the ring. Bradshaw with a clothesline from hell, which gets two, and Bossman makes the save. Bossman hits Farouk with a nightstick, then nails Bradshaw with the nightstick while the referee's looking at Bull for some reason. Bull nails a scissor kick off the top for the pinfall win. Rory, what did you make of this? Yeah, I think this is our it was what it was entry of the pay-per-view review. We've got to have at least one, everybody, and this probably was it. The Acolytes do what they do. And they do it very well. It's a good use of both guys, as you've talked about for a good few months on this program now. I'm not really sure what purpose Bossman serves these days. He's going to be some sort of mentor to Ball Buchanan. I don't know. And again, Ball's got a couple of decent power moves. Doesn't have a whole lot else. But in the world he's in, does he need a whole lot else? I do wonder if in about four or five months' time, we might be seeing something Wall-esque with him if you know what I mean. Uh, the match, there's very little to discuss. It was a decent power match between decent power wrestlers. So Bull getting the pin is probably the only real talking point coming out of this one. But it was fine. It was what it was, if you will. Bob? So by my count, there were five tag team matches at WrestleMania, and there were three on this show. Um... Yeah, I kind of thought that if you're going to do three tag team matches, because from 
you know, what I saw a few years ago, there tends to be a relatively traditional pattern when it comes to WWF tag team matches. Like, you know, in two years I've been away, etc. Like they haven't dramatically changed. So I'm thinking if you're going to do three on one show, um, I would have been more inclined, given the four guys involved, to make this not necessarily a gimmick match. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, they've been doing on WCW this month, just chucking out gimmick matches out of nowhere. Um, but make it a bit more of maybe a walking brawl type match, um, which probably would have suited the four guys involved. Um, but yeah, I, I'm of the inclination that this was probably the part of the show and kind of going forward for perhaps the next three or four matches was probably the part of the show. I was a little bit flatter on than most people. Um, it just felt like a placeholder tag match. Um, the action was fine. And again, that's kind of the story of the show. I think one of the reasons it's quite well received is that everything on this show is at least okay. Um, but yeah, this for me was pretty forgettable. Um, again, in a, in a sea of tag matches this month, um, I don't know this was the best spot for it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you here, Bob, in the sense that um, my notes read exactly that I thought this should have been a walking brawl, that these four men would have been much better suited to sort of the brawling style of uh, WWF tag matches rather than sort of a formulaic in-ring power uh, match and uh, probably went a few minutes minutes longer than it needed to as well. Um, yeah, a, a lot of tag matches on pay-per-view this month. WrestleMania certainly felt a lot more egregious to me because, as we noted on that show, and I'm going to note again because it sounds ridiculous, not a singles, not not a single singles match on the entire WrestleMania card, which is quite something. And, I guess uh, it was tough in the sense that I talk about have a walking brawl and maybe not a weapons match, but the, the next one fit both of those. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's, and again, I come from, I come up this from a position of weakness. So you two will be able to speak to it more, but I feel like the story of the show is really the lack of feuds, um, in the sense that, you know, I always subscribe to the idea that go, you know, you always go with a one-on-one -on -one match. And if you don't, it's because you haven't got a great story. And the WrestleMania card is, as you've just said, there aren't any on it. Um, and yeah, and this one as well. Like, I kind of feel like everyone's over, which kind of helps. Um, but there aren't many real kind of detailed stories going on at the moment. And this just felt like, let's just throw two tag teams out there. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't had the context of four weeks of TV. But that was the general theme that, that, that I got from from the week I, I watched up to the show. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. This is m not much more than sort of a placeholder on the card, I, I guess. And I... I but I I do think that even though it was probably one of the weaker points of the night, um, Rory, I think it was you that said it was it was still good. It, it, it was still okay at the very least, um, and that's significant because uh, comparatively to a lot of the lot, WWF pay per views across the last year or so, we've had a lot of pay per views that have a hell of a lot worse than this. So uh, yeah, not not a great match, not a terrible match either. Next up, we move on to a six-man hardcore match for the WWF Hardcore Championship. Crash Holly defended against Taz, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, Hardcore Holly, and Perry Saturn. Uh, the rules are that someone has to pin Crash, or Crash has to pin someone else for the match to end. Crash Holly rise wisely tries to avoid the ring, but Saturn takes him out and suplexes him. 
Crash continues to take a beating, including, including a Northern Lights Tansplex and hardcore hitting a powerbomb. He tries to escape again, leads everyone to fight in the entranceway. Crash climbs uh, the hooks that are part of the entrance set to get away. Matt Hardy follows, leaps off onto everyone in a cool spot before Saturn suplexes Crash onto another hook, which breaks it. Jeff uses one to swing uh, into a Hurricane Rana on Saturn. And the Hardy's ability to in- innovate is working wonders in this environment. Back to ringside, and everyone's using weapons now. Saturn goes for a submission on Crash eventually, but Taz breaks it up and hits a huge clothesline. Hardcore Holly hits a suplex on Crash on the floor before a huge German suplex by Saturn on Hardcore. The Hardys each have cookie-cutter cookie sheets that they use as weapons. Uh, more pins more pin breakups follow before Taz uses an extension cord to choke Matt. We get a moonsault by Jeff, which gets two. Crash is taking a pounding as he t- takes a brain buster before taking a sit-out suplex onto a chair from Hardcore. The Hardys get a ladder. They whip Hardcore into the ladder in the corner. Matt hits a twist of fate on Crash, and Jeff hits a swanton bomb. The Hardys then fight each other because they both go for the pin. Taz's mission on Crash is broken up by Saturn with a stop sign. Jeff and Matt hit dives off the turnbuckle to wipe out Taz and Holly, respectively, on the floor. And Crush rolls over, puts an arm on Taz's chest, and steals the win after 12 minutes of this hardcore brawl. Bob? It was for the hardcore title, and it had even a guy called Hardcore in the match, but it wasn't very hardcore. Like, this wasn't like peak ECW that, that, that Taz would have, would have known. Um... Yeah, all a bit flat. Like, the, the the stuff on the entranceway was good. Like, the stuff using the bit of the swinging set, that was nice. I guess that was memorable. Um, but then we got back to the ring, and it kind of felt like just that plodding middle stage of a Royal Rumble, where it's like we've got loads of guys in and around the ring, and everyone's waiting to do their own spot. None of it really matters. Um, yeah, like, you know, I, I haven't seen much of the hardcore title, you know, at all, really. Um, you're very lucky this wasn't that interesting and it's like if it's going to be hardcore then go for it and I'm not saying go full ECW because no one should go full ECW but make it matter Um, this just feels like let's just use this title as a kind of joke so we can chuck a lot of guys on the card Uh, didn't work for me Rory yeah see I think this is much more like it as far as the hardcore title is concerned. And yes, Chris, we have seen much more of this thing over the last 18 months. So we've we've seen the low points and we know what low points really are in terms of the hardcore title. I think last couple of months it's been, I think revitalized is probably a slightly too strong a word because it is still just the hardcore title. But there's a little bit more behind it now. And I think Crash being the poster boy, if that's the right expression, of the hardcore division probably helps that it does more it in that lower mid card again comedy section but for now i'm okay with that i think this match it wasn't dissimilar to the battle royal at wrestlemania it was shorter and that certainly helped you didn't have utterly crap people in there this time you didn't have the mean street posse in there but you know you can't have everything uh, i thought it was a very sharp 13 minutes. I thought it was actually reasonably well put together. It didn't seem arbitrary, like with people just brawling for no reason, like we had in the WrestleMania Battle Royal, but it didn't feel particularly 
overly scripted either. I think you've got to let it hang out a little bit in the hardcore division. You've got to move away from the lines a bit. And I think they did that. Again, you can question some of the people who were in there. It just it was a month off, if you will, for the Hardys. I don't think this is going to do them much harm. Saturn being in here was rather interesting. Goes back to what I said earlier. Not sure where he really fits in at this point. And of course, we'll mention it again as we have for the last three months. This is as good as it's going to get for Taz, I'm afraid. Uh, unless he gets himself a pair of stilts, then it, it's he's going to have to get used to it. Apparently, what is happening, a lot of wrestlers are ribbing Taz's position in the card by throwing in a lot of extra suplexes into their matches. And you'd better believe he is noticing this. But he is in no real position to comment yet, being only Taz in the WWF. But match was fun. I think Crash carries this off really, really well. He's the right person for the right role. And Hardcore title, where it stands as we move through 2000, it's not as important as it used to be. But because of that, I'm enjoying it probably more than I ever did. I, I think I echo that set, sentiment entirely. I, my notes are one of the better hardcore title matches I've seen. Um, and I think that just... But also, like I didn't love this. It was It was what it was. It was slightly ponderous and had the weapon stuff in the mid to late portion of the match i can i can leave quite frankly but the the hardy boys i thought were a nice addition they got to be innovative um on the entrance ramp the, the introduction of ladders to the match like it's just different from what we normally get with this hardball title and like if you hold it up side by side to the battle royal wrestlemania which i absolutely hated i didn't hate this it was what it is kind of what it was and i think this is kind of what the hardcore title is going to be um i I don't know what else they could possibly do with it at this stage it's sort of it sounds ridiculous having a hardcore title almost as light-hearted comic relief but that's basically what it is in in a way and it was nice to get some fresh guys in there to get some fresh spots and it wasn't just weapon shot weapon shot weapon shot um it was certainly one of the better hardcore title matches we've ever had on a WWF pay-per-view to this point. Um, and I, I, I just think that was probably because we had a couple of fresh guys in there. We had maybe some better guys than normal. We got Taz, we got Perry Saturn, we got the Hardys and I think hardcore and crash Holly both play their roles well respectively. And I think compared to the lineup that we had in the battle Royal, uh, last month um we definitely had well last month we had for one rodney well this month i should say but at wrestlemania we had rodney joey abs and pete gas in there and uh compared those three to the caliber of this match it was slightly improved upon which is probably why i enjoyed this match slightly more Next up, we have a video package looking at the big show across the last few weeks. It documents how he has turned into a fun-loving impersonator. Uh, he was set to be Kurt Angle's partner for a tag title match, but he jokes around and this upset Kurt. Um, before we get into the match, Rory, um, you'll have seen more of this new big show character than Bob. What have you made of <laughs> the big show up until this point uh, throughout the month of April? <laughs> well, he's certainly getting his all behind it, isn't he? Uh, he's shown before, Paul White, that he does have a personality. Uh, if you will dare 
join me on this journey back to the first attempt at a NWO Monday Nitro in September 96. Not the second one, the first one, but still vaguely decent one, where he was on ring announcing duty for the day and did a mighty fine job of it. So he can do this sort of thing where he's given the freedom to. And I enjoyed what he was doing in the build-up, and I very much enjoyed on the pay-per-view when we get there. But they do say that when you're doing impersonation angles, it's the last refuge of the damned. And I do wonder if you really should be doing this with somebody again, you for the good sake for the ten zillion time, you signed on a huge contract from WCW, who for all the world was going to be headlining every pay-per-view in two thousand as a marauding champion. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah, Bob, uh, this this match was your first look at the big show, Paul White. Uh, last time you, you were around, we had the Giants doing WCW. This must have been quite quite the return. Yeah, wasn't it reported that Vince McMahon used to tell people that, you know, I'll show them how to book the big guy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know how to book Oh, oh and he did. Guy. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's good at it. I don't know whether it's the best role for him. Um, and, you know, he's he's more over as Hogan than I think Hogan is in 2000. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> this is now two companies that have had him and both kind of were smart enough to recognise that he could have, like, superstar potential and both seem to kind of give up on him very quickly. Um, but yeah, like given when we when we first saw him, like he got he got exposed to WCW very very quickly. Um, obviously, did he win the world title his first match? Yep, sounds about right. Ninety five. Yep, good seconds to remember some things. Um, you know, and and like they they gave him the big push, and I don't you know I don't think he was ready for it then. Um, all right, he had the size, and okay, I've been critical before of you know companies trying to make people kind of stars without pushing them like them. And you can't really say WCW didn't do that to begin with. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's more personality there clearly, but like, yeah, that, that, those Vince comments and the stuff he's reported to have said backstage field before. Um, yeah. It's funny how like, you know, you, you fall back on those familiar tropes. Um, interesting use of him. He's over. I mean, everyone's over, so it's not really much worth saying. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different. Um, but we might now be at the point where we'll never truly be able to find out whether there was this big mainstream drawing superstar in Paul White. Um, but equally, maybe we're in an era where you know just being tall in itself isn't a, a guaranteed millionaire, you know, million dollar star. Kurt Angle comes to the ring and bad mouths the fans before real American plays. And the big show comes out dressed as Hulk Hogan. He's wearing a showster yellow shirt. The crowd absolutely love this. It has to be said. There's a huge ovation as he does the shirt rip routine in the middle of the ring. And I'd just like to remind you all that this very month, the big show was in the WrestleMania main event. Kurt attacks, but show hulks up, which Jim Ross calls the old no sell. Show hits a big boot and a leg drop, and the fans are loving this. Kurt kicks out, though, and take uh, starts working over the Big Show's leg. JR gets in jokes about uh, 19,000 fans here being the most a chance for Hogan in years. Show suddenly gets serious. Uh, he takes off his wig, and he ends this with a chokeslam 
pinning Kurt Angle in less than three minutes. Rory, what did you make of this match itself then? And, uh, well, all of it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Won't take long. Uh, the impression was very good as well, wasn't it? I feel like everybody's the first thing you almost do is can you impersonate Hulk Hogan if you're going to do any Hulk Hogan impersonations behind Randy Savage, of course. But uh, I've heard a lot of them. This is this was up there. It's 75, 80 percent quality impersonation there. He, his voice did slip a bit towards the end, but uh, he gave it the old college try. And it was fun. And the crowd were lapping it up. And at the time, so was I. I feel like I haven't put enough butts into this show yet, especially given what my final mark would be. So I'm going to drop one here now. But you're jobbing Kurt Angle in less than three minutes to who right now is a fun-loving comedy babyface. In a, in a spot where like... you could have put literally anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to sacrifice Angle on this particular altar. You somebody you can have you can even have somebody really low on a totem pole who fuck it can even take the pin to the big boot and leg drop. There you go. I'd even put that out there. I'd rather have that happening than Angle losing in less than three minutes to the choke slam. Just have Angle take the big boot and a leg drop, and then just stand up, shake his head in disgust, and then just walk away and give a big show of count up win. Something like that. So Angle can talk his way out of this. It looks as though we're going to be building something with him and Stephanie. I think that's what the music is saying. I mean, that's been hinted at all the way back since December. So that'll be something. So they've clearly got big plans for him in the upper mid card, if not touching the main events. But this result, this very specific result, was not the way to go about it, I'm afraid. As much fun as it was. Yeah, Bob... um... What did you make of the match itself? Well, plenty entertaining. Um, you know, like, like I say, the the, the 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 big Hogan stuff was was pretty good. Um, and I guess you know, Giant seen enough of Hogan and and works enough with him to know his spots. Not that there's many to remember exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the crowd are chanting Hogan, and Jr. says more people chanting Hogan than having years, which I thought was quite a nice line. Um, I was also just reminded about what is it four years ago when we were doing the old um, billionaire Ted skits with the the fake Hogan. We've kind of come full circle. I mean, the uh, the, uh, the the relative prospects of both promotions have kind of you know shifted about a little bit in those four years. Um, but yeah, I you know I've done a little bit of reading back, and I can look at you know where guys were on the card before. Angle went into WrestleMania with two titles, as far as I'm aware, or at least one, um, and he lost. Big Show went into the main event of WrestleMania, he lost, and they both came in here. Um, I don't know that either of them came out of this segment any better off, like. Big Show, okay, was probably more over, but more cemented as a mid-card act than than he should be. Um, and yeah, Angle, after you know what looks like a good few months, you know maybe you know you can move on and you can. It's not like the end of Angle, but it's not a great sign. Like t- to me, you know, don't do this at all. But if you're going to do it with Big Show, don't do it with Angle. Yeah, it's strange with Angle. So it's very stop-start, like. I mean, we hark back to it nearly every month because of the situation with Taz, but 
you only have to go back to the rumble and it's it's so stop start like angle looks like he's being protected and pushed and then taz debuts and chokes him out clean in three or four minutes and then by the time you get to mania kurt's got two titles he loses them both but he's protected in the sense that he's not beaten for either of them and then that same month you have him losing to the big show in two minutes in a comedy match and it's just like i i don't know like sort of the script isn't written for angle in in a sense like he's not like damaged goods and they can't come they could definitely come back from this and push him into that upper mid card main event level if that's where they see him but if that's where they see him then they need to act like it more consistently um because you both of you are right in saying that you could have had literally anyone in this spot and done this exact storyline with literally anyone. Um, it doesn't have to be Kurt Angle. There's plenty of other people, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. This is definitely the most entertaining, um, the big show or Paul White has been since signing with the company. And uh, it just makes me all the more mad dating back to Survivor Series and sort of like he was in like a mid card, like ridiculous over-the-top comedy ang- like uh, pro- program and uh, the angle with his dad's funeral and all of that and then in a night went from that, catapulted into the main event became the champion and like we we have him in that main event area through to WrestleMania entirely without justification the, in- the whole way he never like <laughs> we, we were never getting the, the output from him that you'd expect from a guy in that position and then we get through Mania. He's jobbed out in five minutes in the main event, eliminated from the match. And that same month, we've got this, which is very entertaining. But it's like, if you were going to give up so quickly, then why did you bother at all? Like, it was it was never in a position to be that prominent in the card um, through, from Survivor Series through to Mania. But they did it anyway. And when it didn't work to the surprise of absolutely nobody, they've gone back on it in the biggest possible way they could. And he is now perennial comedy mid-carder. I don't know how you come back from this because, okay, he, he gets angry at the end and he takes the wig off. And when he gets serious, he beats Kurt Angle in less than a minute. But like, it's, that's not why anyone cares about him. The reason people care about him is because of the, the ridiculous impersonation, the over-a-top comedy. So, I don't have a problem with this placement on the card. I just wish they didn't waste my time. So we get a video package ahead of our next match with the uh, Dudley boys taking on a team of TNA, Test and Albert, who are with Trish. The story um, is that Trish has been taunting Bubba Ray Dudley and his love of putting people through tables. She's uh, done uh, table tips promos that have, uh, well, they have a lot of sexual innuendo in them. And, uh, Bubba's been unable to put her through a table because every time he gets close to doing it, she uh, will uh, kiss him or just seduce him or talk to him in some seductive way. He'll fall into a trance and Trish will get away. So before we're underway, we have a shot of uh, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins uh, in the crowd. Uh, Chris, a question for, for you and Rory to sort of jut in. Was this the best built feud on the show? 
I, a legit question. It's probably, it's probably, it's probably up there. It's been coming I mean, for a while. I can only it? speak of the week I saw, but I felt like you know they did more video packages on this than I feel like they did on anything else. Certainly outside of the main event, I felt like I had a better handle on the story than almost anything else going into this show. Um, and I've got my own qualms with the the mechanics of what went on in the main event, or certainly the build up to it. This one felt really clear and coherent. It was the one they were doing video packages for on the on the uh, on the Raw and SmackDown heading into the show. And my wider point about the lack of genuine rivalries on this show, I think this seemed to me to emphasise that. Well, I think that's very fair, actually. Yep. Well, this uh, this is and uh, I suppose to some extent, Big Show and Angle, like they, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they had video packages for that too, and 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 like built out pretty concisely in a couple of weeks of TV. But yeah, um, definitely not convoluted, straightforward, and 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 well pushed, I'd say, throughout this throughout the show. So we start with uh, Bubba chasing Trish outside the ring, but Test meets him with a clothesline. Back inside, Bubba nails a clothesline off his own on Albert and yells at Trish, I'm going to get you, you little bitch. The crowd cheered that. We get a double suplex by the Dudleys on Albert before Devon nails a headbutt to the groin. We get a boot by Albert on Devon, and then Test gets a boot to the face for two. Test hits a gut-wrench powerbomb as the heels continue working over Devon. A nice double tilt roll slam by TNA get two. They do a spot where Albert slams Test onto Devon for a pinfall attempt. Fans begin chanting table as Devon connects with a neckbreaker. Uh, the ref didn't see Devon tag, and JR mentions that it's the third time that's happened tonight, which I probably wouldn't point out. More work by the hills on Devon before Trisha smiling at ringside. There's a pinfall attempt by Devon that gets two, and Albert then nails a sit-out powerbomb for two of his own. The fans begin to chant, we want tables again to try and rally the Dudleys. Devon hits a superplex on Albert to get a hot tag to Bubba against Test, and he nails a Samoan drop for two. Devon sends Test outside the ring, and we get a double-team neckbreaker by the Dudleys for two. Albert hits a slam on Bubba before Devon moves Bubba out the way of an elbow drop. Dudleys went for a 3D, but when Bubba was supposed to hit it, Trish is on the apron, taunting him, so he just stopped frozen. This distraction allows Tess to hit a big boot, which is enough for the win, just past the 11-minute mark. After the match, Bubba nails the neckbreaker on Test, and then he goes for Trish. Crowd pop huge. The Dudleys hit a 3D on Albert. Bubba grabs Trish by the hair. Uh, Trish turns, grabs Bubba, and kisses him, but he shakes it off. He grabs her again by the hair, Devon sets up the table, and Bubba comes off the top rope with a powerbomb, putting Trish through the table, which obviously gets a huge reaction from the crowd. Trish is helped to the back on a stretcher with a neck break on. Rory, over to you. Okay, so the match was the acceptable base of forgettability, I would say. There's not much I can recall from it, even after your excellent play-by-play there, Mr. White, other than I think they finally found the right niche for Test. Uh, alongside Mr. McMahon as one of his bodyguards, uh-uh, not going to work. Romantic lead, definitely not going to work. Big bloke with a couple of decent power moves, yeah, that could work. Let's leave him like that for a while shall we so that's what he's doing and i think as that they're going to keep him going like that for a good few months 
hopefully resisting any temptation to try to push him back up the card again. Looking like he does, he's always got a chance of that, but I hope that common sense does prevail and he stays in this sort of area because it's what he is good at. That's all we've really got. To, all I've really got to say about the match because it's all about what happened after the bell. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this. I probably won't be the last either, but it's the way the world is going now, isn't it? Uh, you kids have it far too easy where you're allowed to cheer a guy who wears sellotape on his glasses and you can do so because he goes into orgasmic trances when he puts women he has his eye on through tables using power bombs off the second rope. I think I've got a handle on what's happening there. I certainly have a handle on the fact that I dislike it and I dislike it immensely. But when you hear the 19,000 people in the MCI centre, maybe I am the outlier after all. I just want to talk about how, uh, the way it happened too. And you were talking last month about May Young taking two, two power bombs from Bubba uh, in the build-up to WrestleMania. And Davinda made the comment that May Young said to him after the first powerbomb, I'll do it to me like I was one of the guys. And then Bubba, to his credit, it must be said, protected her just as much on the second as he did on the first, taking all the impact on his ample backside. However, on this occasion, it has to be said that when Trish went through the table, Trish went through the table. There was no give there whatsoever, and her head smacked back off the canvas. And I don't care whether Trish has been giving it the big I am backstage, as she supposedly has. So what if she does walk through that area with her nose held in the air, which is supposedly what is happening? That is no excuse. If there's one person who should not have to pay their dues, it is somebody who six months ago was a fitness model and has had zero wrestling training whatsoever. If you have to tell this story, and it's the one people want to see Bubba tell every week and month, I understand that, then please, for the love of God, do it safely. Obviously, the stretcher job was planned, but again, the back of my mind, which is going to be the subtitle for this show, I think, the back of my mind, you're thinking, yeah, that really could have shaken her up at best, and we didn't need it or want it, but we got it. And it got the cheers, so again, maybe I'm wrong. Bob? Yeah, there's people that say that ECW didn't or doesn't have a a big impact on how the WWF plays out. Like, this was straight out of the ECW playbook, or it felt like it. Um, certainly ECW playbook of 94 through 96. Um yeah, you kind of reap what you sow. Like I say, I, I can only speak for the week I saw, but this was the feud I felt like I had the best handle on going into the pay-per-view um, in the sense that they'd done... Obviously, we've got all the stuff with Trish doing our best Sunny impression on Raw and that kind of thing, and they had the angles and they did video packages for it, etc. The problem is, and we saw a similar version of this in the main event, is when you signpost to the audience, the bit at the end is the bit that's going to be interesting. They kind of zone out of the bit before that. Um, so we got like 12 minutes of a match or 11 minutes of a match that was like there um, and everyone's just waiting for the inevitable which is Boa putting Trish through a table um, what Rory says is correct I can't really dispute any of that it's all true um, at least it mattered uh, at least the crowd were into it um, it was safe enough 
but I'll give Bubba credit for the the one he did here and the others he seems to have done on, on, on shows recently. And at least they sold it. Um, like we haven't, you know, watched a bit of WCW recently and they'll do an angle and immediately go to the back. Um, you know, just move on to the next thing. They they gave this time to do a full on stretcher job, and they really sold it backstage and even let it bleed into the start of the next match. Um, so they did it about as well as they could. I think the match could have been six minutes and it would have been perfectly fine. Um, but equally, it's not like anything was struggling for time on this show. I saw Dave Meltzer kind of say that this was an interesting show in the sense that it was quite light on kind of skits and backstage segments. So it meant that this kind of thing had the time and space to breathe. So they did it about as well as they could, but yeah, the angle was great. The problem is that when you build a feud between one of the guys in the tag team, the valet of the other tag team, don't be surprised if people just don't really care about the match. Yeah, I think you've kind of, hit the nail on the head and that you're going to reap what you sow when the focus of a match is not, isn't the match. The focus was always the angle. Um, yeah, the, the finish works, I guess, in storyline and just set up the angle a bit more. And I, I think a bit, the match being a few minutes shorter certainly would have helped, but I, uh, definitely prefer Bubba doing this to Trish rather than may, if he's going to do it to anyone, but I, I didn't think, I don't want I don't want to sound critical of Bubba A. Dudley when I say this, but I didn't think this looked anywhere near as safe or as controlled as the two he did to Mae Young. I thought they looked like you saw the Mae Young ones and I could watch that as a fan and rewind it and zoom in and have a pay very close attention and I could be happy and content in myself that Mae Young hadn't been seriously hurt watching that. Yeah, he basically I, did a senton through the table for those, which is fine. Yes. Like, if they do anything else, I'd be furious. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have that same level of comfort watching this on Trish, and I think, Rory, you pointed out, her head did hit the ground hard. Um, I was a little uncomfortable with how this looked. Um I don't know if Bubba was slightly more relaxed about the whole thing, thinking, "Well, I've done a, I've, I've done it twice to May, I've, like, um, and she was fine." And he just, I, I don't know. But um, for someone with as little experience as Trish had, I don't think that it looked like a a particularly nice or safe bump that she took. But again, maybe it was, and maybe it's just that's how Trish took it. Like she doesn't, um she doesn't necessarily have the experience to make it look any other way or anything like that. I, I don't know, but I, I was, I was a little bit concerned for Trish here, but, um, but overall, um, it's, if you're going to do this storyline, this is how it has to pay off and they paid it off and the crowd loved it. And, um, yeah, if you're telling this story, this is how this story ends. So, guess i can't really complain i just wish that it looked well i don't know maybe maybe it kind of the wrong way to come here i'm saying i wish it looked safer i guess from a fan perspective <laughs> it looked it looked real and maybe as a fan i should just accept that but i uh i uh was slightly concerned for the well-being of trisha just as trish is being loaded into the ambulance a car pulls up and it's eddie guerrero and china 
Eddie had been informed by a ref that he had to go to the ring immediately to defend his European title. Uh, the story here is that Eddie had just been at his prom and he'd only just got back in time so Eddie would be wrestling in his tuxedo trousers and a bow tie. So we're set for Eddie to defend his European title against S.A. Rios, who's accompanied by Lita. Eddie's in control early with a back suplex, but Rios sends him out of the ring with an arm drag. Rios went for a dive over the top, but Eddie moved and Rios hits the floor hard. Eddie tossed Rio into the steps before uh, taking control in the ring. China nailed a forearm uppercut on Rios before he came back with a drop kick and then a missile drop kick too. We had a nice exchange of holds where Rios nailed a monkey flip that sent SA which <laughs> sent Eddie into the ropes. China got in another forearm shot before Eddie hits a plancher over the top to take out Rios on the floor. Eddie went for a move on the floor, but Lita's on top. China shoved her into the announce table at ringside, and Rios capitalized on the distraction with a springboard moonsault onto Eddie by the announce table. Back in the ring, we got another missile dropkick by Rios, and then he nailed a somersault dive over the to over the turnbuckle to take out Eddie on the floor. Rios was on top, but China tripped him up and Eddie nailed a superplex on Rios. A brainbuster by Eddie before Rios hits an arm drag off the top. Rios went for a moonsault, but Eddie got his feet up to block it. Eddie then nailed an airplane spin into a neckbreaker for the win at the nine-minute mark. Post-match here, Rios nails a drop kick to Eddie. Then Lita went into the ring. She yanks off China's dress leaves China in her bra and panties. Chi- uh, Lula is losing his mind while Ross says that he'd never seen China look quite like this. Eddie was smiling at her and China just seemed to be okay with the whole situation. Bob. Take a drink every time Jerry Lawler says the word mamacita. Um, I think th- th- you drown. Um, they were trying so hard like they worked hard there were some big spots some spots that mattered some that didn't so much just don't get the sense the crowd were all that into it um maybe that was my perception of it um eddie was resting in his prom gear that apparently included elbow pads um just you know that there's that as well he's wearing those at the prom supposedly unless he put them on before the match started which i didn't see um yeah they tried really hard the match was good i just don't think the crowd got into it i mean the the whole the whole big angle at the end of the last match kind of acted as a bit of a mini interval in the show i felt um i felt they were saying to the fans like hey if you want to go to the concession stand or go to the toilet that kind of thing this is your opportunity to do so and so I kind of felt like the crowd were just milling around and not all that interested. And as hard as the guys worked, um, it just didn't really connect. I kind of think if this match had been the first couple on the card, it would have been slightly better received by the audience because of the placement. Um, and we talk about, you know, the layout of this card and perhaps there was one too many tag matches, etc. I felt like this match should have been higher up on the card or lower down the card in terms of earlier on. And then one of those tag matches or maybe the hardcore title would have been better placed here. Um, so, yeah, they tried hard. I just don't think it connected. And, and me not having much backstory on the title or whoever the hell S.A. Rios is, um, couldn't really get into it. Rory? Yeah, I agree with Bob. This did feel a bit like a cool-down match. And the fact that they played up Eddie only just making it to the arena in time having been at the prom suggests to me that they knew that when they were putting this card together 
And the crowd, they, yeah, I call it a passing interest in this one. It was probably helped that it's Eddie Guerrero, you know, selling ice to the Eskimos again. Now he can work an eight-minute match with a somebody who has a completely different style whilst wearing half a tuxedo, and he can still get to about three, three and a half stars while doing so. Just testament to how great this man is and how lucky the Federation are to have him. I hope they realise how fortunate they are. Yeah, and you've got S.A. Rios, for goodness sake, on pay-per-view, a.k.a. Papi Chulo, a.k.a. Aguila. WrestleMania 14 was his last appearance, I believe. So that also gives credence to the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of thought behind this match but it was a very good one it is a style we're not really accustomed to seeing in the wwf they dip their toe into it say the beginning of 98 in the first knockings of the light heavyweight then that just disappeared and we went back to the style we all know some might say all too well over the last two years but it was a very nice change of pace between two people who are more than capable of it i'm not sure we're going to see too much more of this particular kind of pro wrestling, but in a show that gave us a little bit of everything, it sat in very comfortably, I think. I think this is the kind of match, although I entirely concur, it was a, it was the cooldown match and it was it was like three to three and a half stars, sort of like it was a good match, nothing spectacular. But this was the kind of match that we could have really done with on WrestleMania. Like, um, just some fun, um, casual, uh, some good spots, high flying. Um, it was a nice change of pace. Um, I felt the finish was ever so slightly anticlimactic, but I, I guess that's just the nature of a airplane airplane spin into a neck breaker. To be honest, um, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was fine. Um, the storyline with Eddie in China, I've been a fan of it. And uh, I, I think, uh, like, at, I mean, we started really China pinning Eddie at WrestleMania. Um, so to end the month with them like this is, is kind of good, I suppose, because uh, we, there was a lot of discussion on, after the WrestleMania review, sort of like what the WWF thought they had in Eddie Guerrero and how they were going to use him. And um, I think we've kind of steered out of that loss at WrestleMania to having a reason to have him on every show and his sort of budding, blossoming relationship with China and their, yeah, and their interactions. And it's entertaining and he's obviously an exceptional worker. So I think uh, having this storyline is much better than having him feud with China. Um, I mean, inevitably, it'll probably end up that way, uh, as as near all relationships and partnerships of of, of any kind do in the WWF. But um, yeah, for now, uh, I'm I'm enjoying the Eddie China stuff. I thought this match was fine and uh, a good way to sort of reset sort of the crowd on the show. Next up, we have Chris Benoit defending his WWF Intercontinental title against Chris Jericho. Uh, both guys did short promos backstage before the match, and we are underway. It's pretty even early on, and then uh, Benoit takes control with two German suplexes. Uh, Jericho gave Benoit a back suplex over the top to the floor. Benoit went for a dive outside the ring, but Jericho moved, and Benoit hit the floor hard. I've cut and paste that sentence from the uh, Guerrero S.A. Rios match. Benoit hits a drop kick into the steps, and the steps go into the ribs of Jericho. Benoit's in control, 
for the next few minutes. Here's a sap suplex that earns a two count. Um, Jericho makes a comeback eventually. Nails and Lion sort for two. After some Benoit offense, Jericho nails a spinning heel kick before Benoit gets in some chops and Jericho hits a bulldog for another two count. Jericho misses a springboard dropkick attempt. Uh, Benoit then goes up top. Jericho catches him, gives him a back suplex off the top. Benoit counters midair and gets a two count from that. Jericho nails a powerbomb. A powerbomb for two. Benoit comes back with a crypto cross face submission hold and Jericho is able to get his feet on the ropes. Jericho tries his tries the walls of Jericho, but Benoit gets to the ropes easily, and the crowd's really hot for that sequence of near submission finishes. Uh, Jericho went for a forearm, but Benoit ducked, and the ref was hit. Uh, Benoit grabbed the title and hits Jericho in the head with it. Benoit wakes up the ref, and he covers, but only for two. Benoit with a suplex onto the title before Benoit goes up top for a headbutt. On his way down, Jericho grabs the belt, holds it up, and Benoit lands on it, which is enough to earn the disqualification after 15 minutes of action. Post-match, Jericho puts the walls on referee Tim White, and he's angry at the decision to disqualify him. Uh, Rory, over to you. And we really have woken up with Chris Jericho now, haven't we? Yes, it's the semi-main event, but it's intercontinental title level against his buddy Chris Benoit a corner of the earth where it will be forever thus. But the match we got in said corner was really, really good, as you can imagine. Benoit led it, Jericho hung with him, and for those 15 minutes or so, all was right with the world. Benoit himself will probably be doing this for as long as he's in the WWF. It's up to him to decide whether he is necessarily happy with that or whether he wants more. Let's face it, being WCW champion wasn't enough to keep him over there, but that is another story. Jericho could probably end up feeling a little bit disappointed that he didn't even get the courtesy victory here with the way that the DQ went down, but maybe he'll pick it up again next time and regularly interchanging the IC belts with Benoit until the end of time. I said the match was good, and it was. Of course it was, but is it... I'm. Is it unfair to want a little bit more? I don't know. I'm probably being a tiny bit too harsh there and looking for negativity where there really shouldn't be. I think the reason I say that is because I saw Jericho in the match with Triple H, because it did happen, everybody, two weeks ago, where he worked a WWF main event style match. And supposedly the WWF style is something he has said in interviews he's been struggling with. He managed to work an exemplary version of that. As I've said, it was almost pared down from 25 minutes into 10. And yet here he was doing a work rate match with a in-ring marvel like, like Benoit. And for me there, Jericho was back to where he was in 97-98 WCW, where he's right at the very top of the second tier of workers, but he's not quite in the first one in his own right. But in the Federation these days, even with the influx from WCW, he's still pretty high up and Benoit is Benoit wasn't all that hot on the finish it sounded like a good idea it looked like a slightly worse one and not that Jericho needs to be a goody two-shoes baby face but I could have lived without him attacking the refs he doesn't help oh heaven two weeks ago and now he's taken out his energies on poor old Tim White what did he ever do to you but yeah a damn fine match here between two Damn fine wrestlers. And I think with the Radicals being in the company, we're going to get a lot more 
damn fine pay-per-view matches going forward. And after the desert that was 1999, this is quite the oasis of work. Right? Bob? Yeah, Benoit's still really good, isn't he? Um, that hasn't changed in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I quite like this. It's really good, um, which is no surprise. The first slide of my notes literally reads, this could be quite good um, before the match even started. It... I, I think Rory's right about the, the, the finish and how they led up to it. I'm kind of willing to give them a pass in the sense that I feel like this is leading somewhere. Um, like, this isn't going to be their last match on pay-per-view, so that's fine. Um, Chris, I thought you undersold the ring step spot a little bit. That was really nice. Then while Irish whipped Jericho into the ring steps, Jericho kind of jumps over it as if to say, ha, I got you. And then Benoit just drop kicks the ring steps into him. That, that was really good. Um, and I will say for that, that was very well shot. Um, but one of the issues with the match, I mean, the work rate was really good. The stuff towards the end was really good. And again, we'll see them do more. So that was fine. I think I probably would have just preferred Benoit winning uh, with the, the, the belt shot and then just the pin. Like, I don't necessarily know that you needed the kick out followed by the second fuck finish. Um, but the second fuck finish was blown because they went to the wrong camera angle. And so Benoit jumps off the top. And we're basically behind him looking into the ring. And Benoit is basically between the camera and the belt. So he lands it and the ref calls for the bell. We've got Jim Ross on commentary who's obviously watching the TV feed. So he's in sync with what the viewers are seeing. And he says, well, what the hell happened there? Why is the ref giving a DQ here? We do the post-match angle. Then we show the replay from the correct angle. And Tim White's got it exactly right. Um, so that wasn't ideal. Um, Jericho, as you say, did actually get the finish right. Um, I'd have been fine if they'd have ended it 60 seconds earlier with the the belt shot on the on the pin i think that would have been okay um but yeah good match In, intrigued to see what these guys do next yeah i I, uh, I enjoyed this match too i think it was technical stiff some good high flying some really cool spots um the finish i i think um I probably would agree that I would have preferred it to end after the belt shot. You don't need, you don't need to tease that, then like uh, go back on it and then give me a uh, a DQ finish. The, the logic is isn't really there, isn't really there. But I, I I enjoyed this. It just um, I probably felt slightly down on it. Um, much like you alluded to, Rory, just because I have that moment from Raw of Jericho winning the title in my mind, and then we fast forward to the next pay-per-view, and for all intents and purposes, it is like it never happened. And I would quite like to have that moment happen because it was exceptional, and it should, it deserved not to be wasted um, like it has been. Um, but alas, it has. it seems like it never did happen, and I will just have to move on and forget it and Jericho is is back to being Chris Jericho adapting to the WWF rather than Chris Jericho main event level WWF superstar um, which is a shame but this was a really good match and uh, obviously the story between these two will continue and uh, develop over the coming weeks so definitely more to look forward to now uh, it's time for our main event. Um, throughout the show, they'd been pushing the story that Austin wasn't there yet all night. Um, they made good use of it here. So Triple H, Steph, 
Vince and special guest referee Shane McMahon all come out to the ring. Vince tells us that Austin wasn't there and he notes that the fans should read the fine print on the program, which says card subject to change. Um, so, as you'd expect, after a great pop for the Rock's entrance, the crowd chant, we want Austin to start the match. Rock counters a pedigree attempt with a back body dropped early before Shane pushed Rock out of the corner. Hunter hits a neckbreaker. Hunter sends Rock over the top to the floor and drops him face first onto the announce table. Vince sends Rock into the ring post. Triple H is in control in the in, keeps control in the ring up following a high knee and more near falls for Hunter as Rock kept kicking out, even though Shane's counting fast. A chin lock by Hunter that takes about, about two minutes before Hunter keeps going with pinfalls and Vince telling Shane that he wants him to count faster. Rock sends Hunter into face first into the turnbuckle before a double clothesline spot puts both guys on the mat. Shane wasn't looking, so Vince hit Rock in the head with the title. Lawler said if Austin was there, that wouldn't have happened. Rock kicks out again of a fast count and the fans begin chanting Austin once more. Rock sends Hunter over the top to the floor. Uh, we're back in the ring eventually with another knee, spash, knee smash by Hunter before Rock comes back with a DDT. Shane outright few, refused to count. Rock punched Shane, which led to Shane bumping to the floor. Uh, Hunter sends Rock into the steps. Uh, they cleared off the Spanish announce table. Rock hit a low blow on Hunter on the table. Shane gets on the table, so Rock grabs him too, and Rock gives a rock bottom through uh, through the table to both Hunter and Shane at the same time. Vince had an absolutely amazing shocked expression, and the crowd reaction was brilliant, as you'd expect. Back in the ring, Vince attacks Rock from behind. Rock goes after him, but Triple H hits a low blow. Triple H now has a pedigree on Rock. Shane's still out, so Vince waves for somebody else, and it's Patterson and Briscoe. Uh, Patterson counted, but Rock kicked out at two. Patterson and Briscoe then attack the Rock. Hunter nails him with a few more punches, and Vince smashes the Rock in the head with a chair, falling over uh, after he hit him for good measure. Hunter then attempts to pick the Rock up for a pedigree when... The glass breaks, and it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin walks down to the ring with a chair in hand. He hits a chair to the back of Triple H on the aisle, a chair to the head of Patterson, a chair to the head of Briscoe, before making his way into the ring. Austin hits Shane uh, in the head with a chair after Vince pushes Shane in the way, and then a chair shot to Vince. The crowd might be as loud as anything as I've ever heard them uh, react to in the past um it's absolutely electric hunter's back in the ring with a chair of his own but austin just nails him with a chair shot austin then leaves to a thunder of salvation and passes linda mcmahon in the aisle as she walks down with referee earl hebner linda shoves stephanie out of the way while rock nails hunter with a spine buster and then hits the people's elbow linda sends earl into the ring to count the pin one two three we have a new champion the rock has defeated triple h and he is the new wwf champion the celebrations continue austin comes back to the ring driving a truck while towing the burnt out remains of the dx express into the building austin gets in the ring calls for some beers and he toasts with the rock they drink some beer together and that's how we go off the air bob what did you make of this match and the closing to the show Uh, 
or I'll try that again or I might unmute. I think you'll find it was the Lex Express and not the DX Express, um, which was a nice throwback for me, given that my, my first show involved next tour in the country. It what I think was the same bus, coach. It looked pretty similar. Um, yeah, this was really, really good. Uh, I think, not that I've seen the show, but reading about it, I feel like this was the finish they should have done at WrestleMania. Um, okay, you know, Austin's position on this show was to, to help the, the TV ratings before the show and probably help sell a few extra buys. He is not in great shape right now. Like... There's a reason he didn't start anyone because he can't um, and he wasn't moving brilliantly. And there's a point after where he lays out Vince McMahon where he kind of gets on his knees and gets in his face. Um, and then the camera kind of quickly panned away as Austin kind of had to stagger across the ropes to try and pull himself up. So that wasn't ideal. Um, that all being said, match was very well laid out. If you're going to have Austin, if you're going to have all of this nonsense Austin can't be at ringside for it, so you've got to leave him to the end. Um, there's all the stuff you know, on commentary during the match, also the comments by Vince, etc., leading up to the match on the show. Austin's not here. Is he going to turn up? Which, of course, means he's going to turn up. JR even drops in a reference saying, oh, there's people saying that Austin and Rock might turn on each other during the match, which is a pretty clear sign that they're definitely not going to turn on each other, <laughs> which is like the classic kind of reverse psychology in wrestling. Um yeah, but they laid this out really, really well. Um, you know, again, as I kind of said with the the match with Trish and Bubba, like once you kind of signpost that shit's going to go down at the end, you're kind of telling the fans to, to wait for it. They had enough going on where the fans certainly didn't get bored. They were very definitely into it. Um, the bit with the rock bottom on the outside was fucking brilliant. Um like, you know, you've got Rock trying to pet, Rock Bottom Triple H, and then Shane gets up there and Rock just pulls him in and goes, ah, oh, screw it, I'll put you both through. That looks amazing. Um, and then they we talk about the camera work being a bit rough on this show, or the directorial work, I should say. Uh, they cut to Vince with the most priceless look on his face of shock and awe at what's gone on. Um, but yeah, the story of the match is pretty well told. Um, I like that... You know, sometimes they'll do guest referee matches where the ref's clearly bent and he's doing fast counts the entire match. For the most part, I feel like they only did one fast count spot um, after uh, Vince interfered, and that kind of felt like it meant more. And then, yeah, Austin comes. Yeah, Austin comes out, um, and you know he's not moving brilliantly well. That's why he's got the chair. Um, he clears house. And then uh, Earl Hedmer comes out. We do the finish. New champ. Everyone's fucking deliriously happy. Uh, I didn't watch WrestleMania 2000. I feel like something like this would have been a lot better than what they did. Um, yeah, a terrifically well-booked match. The actual match itself wasn't all that, but it didn't really matter. Um, a lot of fun. Crowd very, very happy. Um, and a great closing angle to the show. Rory, over to you. Yeah, I thought the match was all that for what WWF main events should equate to all that. And it is no slight on this one to say that it is the second best thus styled WWF main event. Just, and even then I do mean just behind Steve Austin versus Dude Love over the edge 98. This is just like the touch paper. 
quickly run away before it explodes and just sit back and enjoy the bang, 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 crash wallop. And you got that for 20 glorious minutes here. White Keller said in his review of this show for the PW Torch that he was disappointed with all the extraneous stuff. I'll just quote directly from here. I'd still like to see Rock and Triple H be put in a position to carry a 15-20 minute match on their own with nobody else at ringside and a strictly enforced 10 second countout rule. That is a bit specific. If they knew they had no crutches to lean on in the form of Vince McMahon and Steve Austin, among others, they would have to step up, study other great matches from over the years, consult Pat Patterson and others, and come up with a self-contained match that would capture and hold the attention of the fans, blah, 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 blah. I like Wade Keller a lot, but I think he's way off the reservation on this one. A 20-minute catch-as-catch-can match between Triple H and The Rock is the last thing we want to see at this point in time. I'm not even sure they're necessarily capable of it in as much as they have improved inordinately as workers. I think Triple H is shockingly good in particular at this point. And anybody who knows me, who has listened to me just once on a WWF show over the last four and a half years, will be aware how hard it is for me to even say those words. But it is true. God damn it. This had everything you could ever possibly want. It had a molten crowd. It had the baby face being screwed over at every turn. It had the heels at their most dastardly and over-egged. You had people just begging for The Rock to try to overcome the odds, and it looked as though it wasn't going to happen until the glass smashed. And I thought Austin looked in looked in shape, actually. A very, very round shape. This is where Chris White plays in the rim shot sound that I have sent him. Um, yeah, just chair shots, no stunners. Get out of there as quick as you can, Steve, and you know, work out in more ways than one if you can but it didn't matter the crowd were fucking baying for him laying waste to all these dastardly bad guys and as we said during the jericho match on raw they planted the seed they paid it off here with a wrestlemania style ending with the referee getting his comeuppance of all fucking people and the rock the rock finally standing tall finally getting the pinfall win over Triple H in front of 19,000 delirious fans. Yes, that is what WrestleMania should have been. They realized what went wrong four weeks ago, and it is to their eternal credit that they corrected course at the first available opportunity. Just a cavalcade of complete insanity that the WWF, only they can do, only they can do it this well. Rory, forgive a dumb question, but Go. why wasn't this at WrestleMania? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's above my pay grade, I'm afraid, Mr. Bam. But I'd love to be able to give you an answer on that one. It bloody should have been. I'm sure everybody listening to this would agree with that, but it wasn't because well, they had to put the, the heel one? over. Didn't was they? this the chosen one getting his WrestleMania win? That's that's pretty much. Am I getting warm? No, you you probably are. Far be it from us to confirm your suppositions on that one, Mr. Bamba, even though you're absolutely correct. Anyway, (laughs) but they got there and how they got there. This nobody does this like the WWF. They've rested on their laurels with this style a lot over the last two years or so. But this was back to it at its very very best i can still hear it ringing in my ears now and it will throughout the rest of this year and for a long time to come this was glorious stuff and four weeks too late but we got there yeah this was outstanding and it was a perfect example of how sometimes 
overbooking a situation can actually work perfectly. Like they did, it was almost comical the amount of obstacles they threw up in front of the rock and the amount of interference every turn and Shane just wouldn't count. I always hate in special referee matches where like sometimes you have a special guest referee match where they're clearly feuding with one of the participants and they'll still count a pin and like the other guy will have to kick out too. And it's like, hey, that match just don't count. And uh, like it, it just all of it worked and it clicked. I don't know that they, I mean, unless you shifted everything back a month, um, but I'm not sure there's a way to have this moment pay off <laughs> as well as it did without having such an underwhelming WrestleMania, if that makes sense. It's almost like any frustration that I had watching WrestleMania and seeing the end of that show with Vince McMahon turning heel and all my frustration and anger towards that decision. And uh, quite frankly, a lackluster main event. Um, that that was all forgiven. And every because of that sort of hardship of, of struggling through that show, I mean, I enjoyed the end of this one so much more. Um, and uh, everything about it was just better. Like the, the final near enough 20 minutes of that, Mania match uh, was basically a Triple H Rock singles match after um, Foley and Big Show had been eliminated, and uh, and it, it it wasn't anywhere near this good. And I, I I do think, with retrospect, I suppose a a large part of that is is because of Vince McMahon <laughs> being a heel. As much as we've criticised the decision last month's show and on this show to have Vince McMahon fall back into that character. But I'm not sure there's a way to get this moment as perfect as it is without Vince McMahon being there running the show as the evil boss. Um, I don't know that Austin's return means as much if Vince isn't there, because it's ultimately all about Vince and Austin as the, the like Austin's arch nemesis isn't Triple H, it isn't The Rocket, it is Vince McMahon. And uh, storyline-wise, like... Vince wasn't a bad guy at WrestleMania. Vince has been away for a long time. Austin didn't have a reason to come back. Um, but at WrestleMania, Vince turned and, and became that old character again. And that brought Austin out of the woods. And I think maybe the heel, t- the heel turn is is what led to this. And I suppose to get it at Mania, you could, as much as it pains me to say it, you, you scrap the match at No Way Out, which is ridiculous because that was fantastic with Hunter and Foley, but then you you kind of have the four-way there with Vince turns then, and then you build to the WrestleMania main event being a Rock and Hunter match, and then you bring Austin back as a surprise for the main event at Mania and have it then, but it it, it only works with this Vince McMahon heel turn in place. Um, but uh, either way, it was exceptional, and the Austin return... And title change, two of the loudest pops I've seen in a long time. I mean, this is a hot crowd for nearly the whole show, but they took it up to another level here. And one of the greatest feel-good endings to a WWF pay-per-view that I can remember. So, uh, I'll come to you first, Rory, with your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Just before we wrap, guys, one quick question. I'll just throw this one out there. Where do we think this they're going to go with The Rock as champion now? 
because this is what they've done with him here is pretty much what they did with Austin at WrestleMania 14. I went on record on many occasions during these shows between March and June saying that Austin should be champion for a year. And of course, he lost it, uh, King of the Ring. Then the next day, I said he should be champion for a year from there. And he lost it again three months later. What do you think, just briefly, they're going to do with The Rock going forward? Should he be babyface champion running all the way to the end of the year? Is he going to play hot potato with it? Should he? What, just, just quickly, what do we reckon? Um, it's, 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 it's hard because it, it, it depends very much what opposition he's got. Um, I don't think... I certainly wouldn't have him dropping the belt back to Triple H anytime soon. No way. Um, as as that number one, keep the belt of Triple H for a little while. Um, but then it's who do you put him up against? Um, uh, funny you had a seven foot tall guy that you could <laughs> plug in as a heel into this kind <laughs> of spot. Eh? Please do not give me terrible flashbacks to the rumble and no way out for the last few months of, of big show as the heel in the main event. Yeah. Big show and Shane um, running in the main event scene from like what January to mania is not something you, uh, you missed out on Bob. Um, you did very well to steer clear of that. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's difficult because it's taken. I feel like it's going to be triple H for the near term. Like uh, unless he's going to yes. go on TV for a while, I feel like that's going to be their view for the next few months. Um, and then, yeah, it, it is up to them to, you know, uh, you know, who knows how long Rock might hold the title or what might happen come the end of the feud. Um, but Rock is their guy while Austin's out. Whatever happens in the next few months, I'm assuming he's going to be, you know, still be champion come August September. And at that point, it's about having a, a new guy to feed them to, and then it's just working out. Hugh, they got a lot of options, that's for sure. Um, Big Show would have been probably near the top of my list, but then again, I'm I'm thinking of the giant from '97 WCW, and it's it's pretty clear Vince McMahon isn't. What would you do, Rory? I don't think he's got any legitimate heel challenges other than you know, Triple H. And do we really want to see their? 548th go around on pay-per-view already and what they did here at backlash they ain't topping that so in an ideal world you would let that one rest on the planes for a few months but again where else do you really go so i mean by the time you know we the show is just finished as we record this so we don't know what their plans are for any of the pay-per-views or even the tv going forward whether they just throw triple h back in there with another main event and Rock beats him fairly decisively. And Triple H does hop down the car. I just can't see that happening, though. So we probably will get them spinning around on pay-per-view again for at least another couple of occasions. But I just think Rock's got to hold the title. You could say he doesn't need it. And in this day and age, some guys are so over, even more so than someone like Roddy Piper 10 years ago. They're so over that they don't need the title. They're bigger than the brand almost. And the Rock... You know, if he isn't at that level, he's bloody close. But from a storytelling week to week and kayfabe point of view, in what is and always has been a baby face territory, then now is your chance to do what you didn't do with Austin. Not that it really mattered, but in terms of telling the story from week to week, I think it's the one you've got to have. And it's not going to hurt any of the other heels on the roster if The Rock goes over them for a while. And if he does lose the title, I don't know. SummerSlam or Survivor Series or something, 
then it really can mean something. Mm. Depending on when Austin comes back, you can then build to Rock versus insert hopefully main event level heel here in a main event uh, rematch at Mania 17 again depending on where you are with Austin so I'd like to keep the belt on him but itchy feet could easily kick in especially when they are owned by a 270 big nosed pound big nosed guy from Greenwich Connecticut those feet itch quite a lot I hear Yeah, so Rory, over to you with your overall thoughts on Backlash and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. I said uh, when we started reviewing this show, you couldn't really ask for more. And I very much stand by that. I've been critical at times of this show, and I think deservedly so. I don't think it's perfect. Much like Canadian, when I was reviewing Canadian Stampede in the moment three years ago, I think it was a great show watching at the time. It could have been even better with a little tweak here and a little tweak there. But by the time we got to the end of 97 and everything that had happened happened, I was very happy to award it my show of the year award, despite only, inverted commas, giving it 8 out of 10. I'm not going to make the same mistake here because there was so much I enjoyed. And for a B-level pay-per-view, you've got a little bit of everything, a little bit of every style and good examples of it too. So with that bore in mind, and perhaps most importantly of all, them realising what went wrong four weeks ago and correcting themselves, I'm going to give this show a nine. So it doesn't quite usurp Halloween Havoc 97 and oh yes, dear old big ass Extreme Bash 1 as the highest rating shows I've had on this podcast but it's if we gave half, if we had quarter marks, if it was on nine and a quarter, it's probably there but I don't want to pick too many nits but yeah, for me nine out of ten, an essential watch, the best B-level pay-per-view you could ever hope to see. Everybody was on. The crowd were hot. And that final shot of the two biggest baby faces toasting each other at the end, that's how you end a story at WrestleMania at a B-level pay-per-view. Nine out of ten. If you missed this show, check it out as soon as you can. Bob, nothing wrong. thoughts and score. Sorry. No, nothing wrong with Halloween Havoc 1997. Let's say that. Um... Yeah, I've come up a little bit since we started reviewing this, as is the way. Um, I felt this show kind of plateaued a bit in the middle. I felt it lacked some really major rivalries going in. Um, but the work weight was good. Main event story was excellent. The crowd were into it. I'll, I'll go with an 8.5. Yeah, uh, top to bottom, this is one of the strongest WWF pay-per-views I've seen in years. I think you have to go back as far as Canadian Stampede before you can have the conversation um, as to was one show better than the other. Um, I think there's nothing since then that's probably reached this level from top to bottom. Um, This has a bit of everything, and the end of the show... um, was just on another level in terms of sending the crowd home happy. This takes that and <laughs> turns it up to 11. And uh, I uh, couldn't speak more highly of it, really. And it, it made me rethink my negativity on the Vince McMahon heel turn. That's how good it was. And I was quite strong on that. So two thumbs up. I will go nine out of 10. Um, definitely one of the best WWF pay-per-views I've seen as part of this podcast. And that will do it for our April uh, WWF 
coverage. Um, Bob, it has been an absolute pleasure having you back on the show to review Backlash. Um, what are your plans um, for your involvement moving forward? Do we expect to see you again, or or, or, or was this sort of a one-and-done Mick Foley WrestleMania 2000? Yeah, well, unlike Rory, at least, you know, I, I went away for a couple of years rather than, what, six weeks that Rory managed to last while coming back? Um, as we said before we came on air, I just get the feeling Rory had had enough with WCW and felt the only way he could stop doing it was just to quit the show. I'm flat-batting flat that one. And then just re resurface in a, oh, I'm going to contribute, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, writes the news this month, suddenly ends up on WWF shows for the rest of the year. Who knows? <laughs> um, you got me. You got me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I, had, I had a lot of fun. Like I said, I... You know, in the story two years ago was twofold. One, I was just burnt out doing the whole thing. I probably was for about six to 12 months leading up to that. Um, and I think the reality is, as you two, Chris and, and now Eric will find, is that, you know, just doing one of these shows a month is quite a commitment. And admittedly, I wasn't doing three a month in that last 18 months, but I was probably averaging at least two. Um, and I just kind of, the big thing was I, I kind of burnt out on wrestling, both the, uh, both the stuff in the late 90s and perhaps more critically the stuff in you know at the current time in 2018 um and also the fact i was starting to watch a lot of baseball then and april 2018 was the start of that season and so i kind of went away and to be honest i completely zoned out like i, I you know i i hadn't listened to really any of the podcasts up until a few weeks ago you know, it's not like I've been following along. I was kind of happy out of it. Obviously, the world is where it is right now. We've all of a sudden, all of us, well, most of us at least, have got quite a lot of free time. And so when we went into lockdown a few weeks ago, there's no sport to watch. I'm like, well, let's just put on some old wrestling. And I kind of messed around with a few different things. I watched six months of TNA from 2010 because I am a glutton for punishment. Um, Eric in the Twitter DM group we've got said, you know, you might want to watch the April uh, 13th episode of Nitro. And obviously this month is relevant and you'll hear that on the WCW show because this is the big reset and Russo's coming back, etc. So I watched that and I am a glutton for punishment. So I kind of kept kind of tuning into WCW and there's a lot going over there right now. Um, so, yeah, the answer going forward is I don't know. I I'm committed to next month's WCW show. Um I've told Eric I'm going to do that. The big thing that changed, and it changed within like hours of me saying I was coming back, was I was off work for most of April. I messaged Eric Monday night and said, if you need, you know, I'm available for next month, WCW, if you want to bring me on. Nothing going on right now. Uh, Chris, you put the message in the group on the Tuesday morning. We've got a spot open for Backlash. That's why I'm here, because for the most part, my interest actually isn't usually on the WWF side. Um, and then literally an hour later, I got a call back saying, can you start working again Wednesday? I'm like, oh, damn, it's quite enjoyed all that time off. Um, the reality, the answer to the question, I don't know, um, in the sense that I think I'm going to be a bit more involved. Like I'm cleaning up the website, doing a few things with that. Um, while there's no sport on, I should have the time to do it. I'm not as repulsed by wrestling, even WCW in 2000, I probably was at the early start of 98 where I was doing the shows, but kind of going through the motions that hasn't happened yet. So that's good. Um, but I think I'm going to be month to month is kind of the idea. 
Uh, we'll see how I go next month on the WCW show. We'll see what the world looks like in June. If football starts up again and baseball starts up again and we start going back to work, suddenly it becomes a bit more difficult. Um, but I'm enjoying it. And like I say, I when we were doing WCW in the mid-90s, I always thought WCW 2000 is going to be something worth tuning in for in the sense that, to me, like, incompetently bad wrestling is always a lot more interesting than incompetently good wrestling. Um, and WCW, like, I think we're at the, I think we're entering the peak now. You know, Russo's back. April through until about September seems to be the real kind of just fucking noise from WCW. I think I worked out that there's... I think it's 11 world title changes in WCW between the beginning of April and the end of May. Um, that is a lot. Um, David, <laughs> D- D- David Arquette is champion at the moment as we cross over into May, which is fucking weird. Um, and I'm not going to be on that show, but like the Arquette stuff's great because obviously it takes on its own mythology in kind of wrestling history. Um, and one of the reasons I got back into following all this was going out on my daily walk. I was listening to the death, the death of WCW book. Um, I'll finish answering this question in a bit. Um, and so we got to the bit with Arquette and I'm like, well, this must be a big moment. They must build up to it a lot, etc. And I watched the night, a couple of nitros leading up to it. And I'm kind of, you know, and I'll have more to say on WCW next month, but the Arquette thing just like, just kind of happens. Like, they don't really make a big deal of it on the show. They don't particularly announce it ahead of time. Like, it's not even clear Arquette's, like, in a match or there's going to be a tag match. They just all walk out there and Shivoni goes, whoever gets pinned or whoever, whoever pins the guy who loses wins the title. And it's like, Arquette's won the belt. And, like, you know, no one's watching. Um, so, yeah, to answer the question, don't know. But I had a lot of fun doing the show today. Um, brought back some good memories, if nothing else. And the bit I've always loved doing is talking about storylines and that kind of thing. Like I said, the wrestling stuff I can often give or take. Um, but I always like talking about directions and booking decisions and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, WCW and the WWF going to have a lot of that over the next few months. Well, whatever the future holds for you, and particularly on the WWF side, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. And uh, I look forward to hearing your take on all things WCW (laughs) for the month of April. Um, Also to you, Rory, uh, slightly uh, less time away from the show, but back today with a vengeance. It's been been great having you back on the show. Yeah, without wanting to give too much credence to bob's comments it's been great to talk about april 2000 wwf um, <laughs> not not that i'm for one minute suggesting he's even remotely close to being correct when he says i'm sick of wcw <laughs> heaven for fen i should just say to let in a little light on magic here i have actually been watching spring stampede 2000 throughout the recording of this podcast and i'd live to tell the tale so <laughs> no <laughs> maybe who knows maybe wcw i didn't shake it off after all they reset the whole creative direction of the show i'll get him talking it up (laughs) i I, I mean like they do the nitro and you know i'm doing this on the wrong show they do it and like bischoff walks up to sid and says give me the belt and i'm like the whole of 98 wwf is the the big baby face like fighting against the the heel authority figure and Sid just gives him the belt. Yeah, you go. I I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> WCW 2000 is like its own little universe, really. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not surprised, but it does seem like it's in good hands with Eric, who, who seems to be very much on top of it. So that's good. Um, and I kind of just say as a general point, I'm just very happy the show's still going. Um, you know, there was a there was a scenario where I bail out in in April or May ninety or March ninety eight even, and we just called it a day. Uh, it would have been a reasonable time to to wrap it up in the sense that we would have gone from yeah you know, the middle of ninety three up until the point Austin becomes champion, and then you know we move eras. And other than Goldberg, there's nothing good in WCW to discuss, so that's kind of there. But it's really kind of cool. The show's still going, and I know that you know it's tough to you know three shows a month, et cetera, et cetera. There is now a light at the end of the tunnel, I feel, in the sense that even if it is a lot of work for everyone, this time next year, there's one promotion standing. Um, and that might then become easier for everyone. Uh, but yeah, lots going on. Uh, I, I don't blame Rory for, uh, how can I say this, finding better things to do than review <laughs> 12 WCW pay-per-views and, and all that goes on on the Nitros. You're kidding um, me. <laughs> but it's it's good for wrestling that WWS good at this point, um, because WCW ain't. Is it making me rip up my speech before everybody's very eyes? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are you doing, Rory? Is the big question. Are you going to be back next month? Um, I. Well, let's face it. As you have rightly said, that Mr. Bamber, we've all got a lot of time on our hands these days. I'll be working from home for X amount of time, and so putting on a pay-per-view in the in, in the background, inverted commas, with our mother close captioning on is very easy to do. So getting stuff watched shouldn't be too difficult these days. So me saying I didn't have a, whole, a lot of time on my hands, which was the case at the end of January before the world stopped turning just a few weeks later. Most you definitely are, you not... are entitled to give Eric a ring and relieve him of his case, WCW duties. And see, so just, just hang on a minute. And I was just about to say, I'll even do some WCW stuff as well over the next 10 months. Okay. You know, you pin me up against the wall. What more do you want from me? But <laughs> so two things. One, Yes, I also am delighted that this wonderful show is still continuing and to be any part of it I can, I am more than happy to do shows. We've been doing this for nearly seven years now and we just if we could, if you just keep on rolling, you know, it's in very safe hands. It's always been fantastic. It's going from strength to strength. And Chris, Chris and Eric are gonna put you know, take it to only new heights and we can hold on to those coattails. We'll be very, very fortunate indeed. So, Chris, thank you, sir, for your sterling work you've been doing on WWF so far. It was a privilege to be on this show and I'll be more than happy to be on many others. All we've got to do is say the word, my friend. And then in about two years, I've got to start working out who's going to join me on the TNA version of Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. <laughs> don't, don't, don't all jump at once, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, um, from my perspective, it's been a pleasure to welcome you both back. Um, I'm really pleased to have you both back. What, as I say, whatever the future holds, um, with with the world and stuff, Bob, there's always there's always a space for you on the show. Should you should you want to take that space? That's entirely <laughs> up to you. Rory call me Ric Flair, as in like it just doesn't matter. You just come back. Yeah, um, I, I think that's the perfect analogy. If you if you want to be on the show, you're on the show. That's it. And uh, Rory, I I'd, I'd gladly extend that same invitation to you. So if you're happy to keep things moving with the WWF, then uh, then that's what we'll do. But um, say the word. Awesome. But yeah, it's been a really fun show to record, not least because of you two, but also because we actually had some good wrestling to talk about, which was a really nice change. And 
definitely <laughs> definitely much better than anything we've seen in the last year or so um but i've had a great time and i hope you dear listener have had a great time listening um i have been your host chris white and thank you very very much for listening and until next time goodbye